0: Hey guys, it's Sean O'Connell the managing director here at Cinema Blend and the co host of the Real Blend podcast. And I am setting this up to let you guys know that we had some technical difficulties with the show this week. My fault completely, uh, right as we began to record the show uh, for YouTube and also for the audio podcast, I didn't hit record. Um, and so thankfully, producer Gabe, in all of his glory, has a backup, but that means that the audio feed for our audio listeners. On my end, is not going to be quite as good as you are used to. And, of course, on the YouTube side, uh, you're going to see an animated graphic and not my beautiful base. So soak it in right now, um, and this is all you're going to get of me this week. Um, I truly feel horrible. and The reason that it happened is because we recorded the day that the Snyder Cut got released. And, um my mind was elsewhere, all over the place. And we had Damien Chazelle, uh, which I'm really excited for you guys to hear in this week's episode. So I'm not going to delay any longer. I just wanted to sort of set that up and let you guys know why I sound a little bit differently and why you can't see me in the YouTube video. The rest of the guys are here and uh, we have an amazing show for you guys this week. A ton of great things happening, including Damien Chazelle as our guest. So without further ado, Real Blend 119. Hello, Blunders, and welcome. Welcome to episode number 119 of Real Blend, a podcast that simply cannot wait to release the fucking Snyder Cut, baby! (laughs) (laughs) That's Jason Momoa joining us for this week's episode of a very special podcast. Um, We are recording it on the day that the Snyder Cut has been released, and we will tell you guys why that's so important. Um, my name is Sean O'Connell, the managing director here at CinemaBlend, joined, as always, by Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. Hi, Jakey.
1: Sean, really quick, I know we're going to talk about it in a second, but I want you to do me a favor. I want you to rank the following four days in your life. The day you got married, the two births of your sons, and the day that they released the Snyder Cut. I want you to rank those four
0: days. <sighs> They have to they have to go in order. It, it has to be wedding uh PJ then Brendan and then the Snyder cut. Wait,
2: okay. but what about the, what about the day you met your actual boys though? Like Jake and Kevin. And That's Gabe.
0: first. Then wedding. <laughs> then then the boys and then uh and then the Snyder cut. Okay, Thank so I'll, I'll text you for the real.
1: Yeah, I'll text you for the real uh
0: Oh, look at that. The press release in my hand. I actually printed a press release in today's day and age uh, so that I can hold this. Uh,
2: hey, Sean, you notice something interesting on that poster right there? There's a character on that poster that wasn't on the original marketing.
0: Henry Cavill? Yeah. Superman? And also awesome. it says HBO Max at the bottom. Well, listen, we'll get into this in a little bit. That's Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. with his Justice League hat. Hi, Kev.
2: Hello, Sean. Sean, uh, you and I have been talking a lot today, because, and we'll get into that in the show but uh it's been a very special day i'm just happy to be a part of the show and a friend of yours and to celebrate what what happened so it's very cool
0: in addition to the snyder cut getting released which is tremendous news um i have to tell you guys that in this week's episode we have very special guests (laughs) and it's kind of ridiculous that this has been i'm not even gonna say it's sidetracked it's not sidetracked it's as important It's as important than when we posted a a poll, which we'll get to in a minute, uh, that we asked you guys to guess who our special guest for this week's episode of The Real Blend Podcast uh, would be. And we put as the four choices um, Christopher Nolan, uh, who has a movie coming out called Tenant, David Fincher, because we just did the social network commentary for that, uh, Damien Chazelle, patron saint of The Real Blend Podcast, um, and uh quentin tarantino (laughs) quentin tarantino friend of the show and the ridiculous bit about all of this is that one of those answers one of those people was the actual answer (laughs) like that's you could have chosen any of them and it was fun for us to sit back and listen to all you guys debate about who it could be for various reasons because they were like well they wouldn't be this excited for round three of quentin and one that
1: yeah i would say that's not true (laughs)
0: <laughs> we would. And then Kevin was teasing people with IMAX cameras uh, and that yeah. led people to think that it might be Nolan. Do we tell him? Do we tell them now we can reveal it now? or well, it'll be in the title, I would imagine. Right. It's going to be in the title. It's Damien Chazelle. Damien Chazelle is joining the Real Blood podcast uh, to talk about his Netflix show, The Eddie, and then also just his career of which we've been huge proponents of.
1: Someone did guess that someone did say, like, I, th- I bet it's Damien Chazelle because he has the Eddie coming out. Yes.
2: Well, the craziest thing about that list that we put out uh, when when Sean posted that poll is that none of those four names are in a weird way. Like when we started the show two years ago, if you put those four names in front of us, we would have told you there's no possible way. That we will have any of these names ever even know what real blend is they would even get to them from their publicists um and two years fast forwarding the fact that those four names are legitimately people that we could potentially have on our show and now again We've never had Nolan. We've never had Fincher. Um, but they're not names that seem as distant as they would have two years ago. Uh, and then what Sean's referring to, we play around with our our, our listeners a little bit with the poll, which was kind of cool. Um, when I posted the IMAX camera, that basically brought it down to two people because only Chazelle and Nolan have ever used that camera in, in a feature film that we've seen because Fincher and Tarantino have not. Um, now, Tarantino...
0: Didn't Tarantino put some Hateful Eight stuff in?
3: So not Hateful Eight was
2: shot... Hateful 8 was shot completely on 65 millimeter film. It was not 65 millimeter IMAX. So I'll, I'll, I'll briefly just explain that. So in Dunkirk, when you were watching Dunkirk and it went from the full IMAX back down to the scenes with Mark Ryland's in the boat, that's 65 millimeter, but not IMAX. So what ends up happening is you project that film in 70 millimeter or you project it in 70 millimeter IMAX and the IMAX shots will blow up. So Hateful 8. Was shot basically with the similar type of camera that Nolan used for the non-IMAX shots in Dunkirk.
0: All right. Well, we got to get to Damien's interview because you guys are not prepared for how legitimately cool the conversation was. I mean, it was it's someone who we've been getting on the show for a really long time. Um, we jumped at the opportunity with him having the two episodes of The Eddie, uh, which is a great series on Netflix that you guys definitely need to check out. But a reminder, first off, let me get to the plugs. Um, we have a community page over on Facebook. Uh, and it's real, every time I go back to that, I, I check in with it every couple of days. And I see new voices all the time of, of people who are chiming in, sharing things on there, getting involved in the conversation. I love that that's growing uh, to become the community that it is. Head over to Facebook and search for Real Blend Podcast Community. Uh, if you're watching us right now, you know that we are posting our episodes to Cinema Blend's YouTube page, and that is uh, in addition. I've I've seen the numbers on that one go up week after week too. In addition to putting the entire show up, uh, the video team at Cinema Blend does an amazing job of cutting up the interviews uh, independently too, and uh, we're doing a really good job of sharing those and promoting them and of course we are available all the places where you can get your favorite uh on all of your favorite podcast apps where you download all your stuff subscribe uh write a review if you can that really helps us uh get uh, the word out there share us with a friend uh who wants to see it either on uh facebook or uh, or listen to the podcast and and just keep spreading the word about real blend we're really thrilled when you guys get to do that because Every single time that we raise our numbers and uh, we get more awareness on the studio side, it helps us get guests like Damien Chazelle. And really, sure. it's yes. During quarantine, we've been pretty lucky to throw out you know some fishing hooks and get people. Uh, Josh Trank coming on for Capone and spending as much time as he did. Um, getting uh, Ben Schwartz, you know, to just come on and talk about Sonic. Michael Shannon doing it from his house. All these people who are just willing to come on the podcast and hang out and chill. That's what Damien did. Like, Damien knew he had the Eddie. Yeah, I didn't see him do a lot of press for it. Kevin got a press release for it, threw it out there um, to him, and the, he jumped at the chance. And so I want to throw it right to our interview, and we'll talk about it on the other side, about how it, how we think it went. But um, it's just a fun conversation, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy it, uh, where we talk about Whiplash and La La Land and First Man and, and all this great stuff, including his work in the Eddie. So without further ado, the real blend... <laughs> The Real Bun Podcast interview with patron saint Damien Chazelle.
2: Well, first of all, Damien, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much. Nice to see you again. (laughs) Yeah, great to see you too. And uh, it's funny, last time I saw you, we were in D.C. at the first man premiere, and your dad came up to me and said he watched my first man interviews with you, which I thought was really, really awesome. Did he really? (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man, I hope hope he didn't harass you or anything. (laughs) Dude, your mom and dad are awesome. I talked to them for a while at the premiere. But, you know, one thing, before we get into, like, the actual (laughs) interview questions, I just want to ask how you're doing right now creatively because i feel like everybody's home at this moment i feel like we have more time but at the same time i feel like it's hard to get motivated sometimes i'm just curious for you as an
4: artist creatively how how you are at the moment it's weird yeah i i um i think the first few days or weeks when because we were prepping a movie so suddenly when it was kind of okay we're going on hiatus um it felt like there was time in our hands, but then uh, it kind of quickly stopped being the case because it catches up with you once you like we've got a kid here and no child care and no kind of uh, not much house care other you know than, than what we're doing. And so suddenly and a dog and it just kind of I feel like I have less time than ever, actually. Yeah, <laughs> so I, it's I, like, we completely it's, agree with you. We say it all the time. It's weird. But- um, so I want to talk to you about it's the- weird. It's almost almost this like, yeah, this misperception about quarantine. <laughs> I like think Everyone's like, wait a minute, I thought at least I'd get it. I'd get like a lot of free time out of this. Like it'd be vacation. It's like, no, not even that. I think we're working <laughs> harder. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> Damien, I was going yeah, to I was going to make a short film two months ago and I still haven't started writing it. <laughs> I, was like, I mean, I've been sitting yeah. here.
4: Yeah. That's how it is. Well, and, and but you're still doing the, the the show and and everything, right? Like you just, but you basically have to like learn how to now do it from home or something. Yeah, J-
2: Jake and I both broadcast from our homes. Um, you know, and we all yeah. have been watching the Eddie, and obviously we we love your work. And one of the things that I love about you is your, your use of wonders. Um, the wonder at the opening of La La Land that six minute wonder, then you have a beautiful wonder in the beginning of Eddie of the Eddie. And I was just curious, what as a filmmaker what you want the audience to take away by opening your show or your movie with a wonder is it an immersion tool how do you see that in your mind as a filmmaker to is it is it a grabbing the audience and not letting them go with an edit kind of thing
4: yeah i guess it's um um yeah it's it's, um uh it depends but i guess in terms of like w- w- when you're actually opening a movie with it i think uh, or 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 a show with it it's um i always like to kind of have a very concrete deliberate choice as to what the first image you're seeing is and then once you've kind of chosen what the first image you're see you know cuz i always think you have an audience in a very privileged position mm. um at the very beginning of something it's the only time that you really have their complete undivided attention and that and and that it's the only time they, they you you have them under your spell because they don't yet know if you're gonna fuck up or not like it's <laughs> the you know it's like it's like the the black the black before any movie for all you know that movie could be Citizen Kane you don't know, so it's like you you it's the promise and I think a lot of movies or shows seem to sort of um uh it, it, it's sort of a sad thing to like to 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 not take advantage of that, you know, hmm. so it just feels like it feels like you want to make a choice about, you know, a sort of deliberate choice about how you're opening, um, and also uh, then I think by that same token, what your first cut is. It's not just what your first image is, but what your first cut is. So it doesn't mean necessarily that you just delay that first cut, though that's what I've I've done in in those two instances. Hmm. Um, uh, sometimes it means that your first cut comes pretty quickly, but it just, it has to have meaning. That's the first cut of your movie. So it's the first time your image is going to cut from one to the other. So it just, mm. um, um, that's probably the kind of thinking that sometimes I think with the the Eddie, I hadn't initially planned it being a, um, a one, or I think it was just when I started mapping out the shots or, or the, the movement of the camera with the music. And I couldn't quite figure out a natural place to cut where it would feel elegant to cut. So mm. So, we just it just kind of then it sort of revealed itself as I guess I can only cut once the song is over.
0: Mm-hmm, so,
4: cool.
0: Damien, I didn't yeah. expect to be as moved by this aspect of um the episodes that you did, which is the communal aspect of a jazz club, uh just yeah. everybody getting together, everyone collaborating, mm-hmm. uh people just coming in to sit back and relax and enjoy music. And it made me realize how much I miss it right now in the moment. Yeah. Um, Can you just talk about that a little bit about how, you know, not that we're rushing back to anything, but, uh, but maybe how much you've come to appreciate the communal nature of live music, uh, the movie theater experience now that we uh, don't have it at our fingertips.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I've I've gone through the same same sort of process where I didn't, didn't really realize when making the show that that aspect would suddenly seem, um, when it came out, you know, like, a like a memory. Yeah. Um, the, the, you, it's also, it's also, it's not like, as you see in the show, it's not like jazz clubs, you know, were, uh, you know, raking in the dough before <laughs> <laughs> coronavirus hit either. So, um, so it's, uh, I think it always feels extra kind of hard, um, when it's, uh, art forms are venues for art forms that feel maybe a little bit fragile to begin with when they're sort of dealt a blow like this. Um, but at the same, by the same token, one can hope that, you know, what comes out the other end is, is maybe some sort of renewed appreciation for something that is very easy to take for granted when it's, when it is at your fingertips. Um, mm. so, you know, we'll see what happens, but I think, um, I think right now there's a lot of like self-reflection and, and people kind of maybe thinking through or realizing sort of what, this is going to sound like very, um, overly grandiloquent, but sort of what makes us human, you know, the Mm -hmm. idea that like humans like to be together, their humans are social animals. I say that as a very antisocial person, (laughs) but I recognize that humans are social animals. And that means that the human, that, that, that human art, uh, uh, has a social component to it. Not always, but that there's certain art forms, um, that, that need to have a social component to them. And, um, and so, you know, music, uh, especially jazz, has to have the live component to it. You're missing the whole end of the equation if all you have is the sort of solo um, recorded experience. Um, mm-hmm. And I think the same is true with, with, with movies, obviously. Um, and, um, and I think that's also why these things last maybe longer than it feels like historically they'd be warranted to. You'd think that live music would have been killed by the phonograph, um, you know, a hundred plus years ago, 150 years ago. And it clearly wasn't. So, um, so yeah, so it's, uh, but it's, it's always interesting to have that kind of moment where you stop, where you're forced to stop and think about, okay, these things that maybe I thought I didn't need, or maybe that I took, you know, took for granted thinking about what, um, what they might mean to to us as a society.
1: Yeah. Damien, thinking about just jazz clubs and, and watching the Eddie and then and then recently uh re La La Land, I gotta be honest, a lot of times when celebrities open up restaurants, I kind of roll my eyes a little bit, this action star will open up this chain or whatever. And, and in Chicago, anyone who was ever a Chicago bull or a Chicago bear has a steakhouse. Like it's just it's just oh, yeah. a thing. <laughs> but I gotta be honest if there was a Damien Chazelle jazz club, I would be first in line to go see that. I know like you're obviously a fan of live music and, and, and jazz clubs have been a part of your work. Has there ever been a thought process where you thought it would be really cool to own a jazz club?
4: <laughs> you, know, you know, actually, no, I never I've, I've thought it'd be cool to own a, a, a or run a movie theater. The jazz club, uh, man, that's daunting, even even. Uh, that's, that's daunting even for me. I, I would say the, the better person to, to sort of pick up the baton on that would be Glenn Ballard, who, who, who whose brainchild this show really was. It sort of started with him, I think, having a kind of utopian idea in his head as a musician himself who'd spent a lot of time in Paris uh, uh, of, of, you know, what a contemporary youthful jazz club, uh, in Paris that kind of mixes American and French. And then by that token, a whole bunch of other nationalities, um, into one sort of space, what that would feel like, what that would be like. Um, and, um, so, but it, it was funny cause by the end of shooting or, or, well, I, I wasn't there for the whole shoot, but by the end of, uh, at least my episodes, you know, it's, it's, um, The club was the one fictional set in the show. Everything else we were shooting in real apartments or real restaurants, the club was a set, Mm. you know, uh, that wasn't there before. And that was mainly because we had to do so many things with it. We had to spend so much time there. Couldn't really shut down a real club for that long uh, with the money we had. And we also had to record the music live. So we had to have a sort of apparatus. We wanted to record the music live. So it had to basically function as a recording studio at the same Mm -hmm. time, you know, with sort of mics cabled into sound engineer rooms in the back that you wouldn't see. So so we kind of spent all this time living in this place that we had kind of constructed or that the production design team and sound team had constructed. And it felt like a club by the end. It sort of Mm -hmm. felt like, ah, I wish... You know, we all knew that it would shut its doors as soon as the shoot was over, you know, the way all film sets do, um, and sort of wished it wouldn't be the case. So who knows? May, maybe there's some way to resuscitate that. Um, We'd all know, be po- there, post, post, man. Yeah, we would all post, definitely uh, post be post there. Yep. Okay, great. We've got we've got three, three <laughs> tickets sold. <laughs> I think that's a good economic uh,
2: proposition. <laughs> I always geek out with you about your use of film. Um, I loved it. You used 35 on La La Land. I think you did 16, 35, and 65 on First Man. Uh, and obviously, here you're shooting. Super 16, which looks absolutely gorgeous. Like just the grain is just oh, swimming thanks. on the screen. It, like, <laughs> I, like I always say, it, it's awesome. And I, I love That's it because it,
4: it gives it this. You, you love the stuff that <laughs> this is a lot of other people hate, but I have to fight. Always fighting for 16 in my life. <laughs>
2: I think 16 is a character in the show because the actual grain mm. is part of the movement, especially in your wonder in the beginning as we're just going throughout the club in the Super 16. It is mm. just gorgeous to watch. And it feels like 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 you're almost watching someone's real footage of a real life event and almost like a docu style Mm. the way you shoot it i was just curious as a filmmaker how you decide what like types of film you're going to use for a project so how do you decide 35 will be used for la la land that you're going to use 16 35 and 65 for first man but super 16 here what is the decision process as a filmmaker and a storyteller
4: uh yeah i mean it 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 does kind of um Uh, ideally want to tailor itself to the, you know, to, to the individual project, to the story. I think 16 is the one area where I'm probably always going to try to find an excuse to shoot 16. if Uh. I think it could, it it could at all justify itself just because I love it personally so much. And it's sort of what I began shooting on. So that, you know, that's a kind of, you know, it's like you, 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 you know, you love your first toy or something. It's like that kind of thing. So I, I, um, um, uh, you know, uh, here with this show, it, 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 uh, it actually wound up being the hardest thing to, to sort of get through the transom because Netflix is very not into 16 or anything, um, that's not sort of super sharp, clean digital. So, uh, so getting them over the hump, um, uh, was, was a thing. Um, and, um, but you know, to, to to their credit, they, they, they did let me do it at the end. Um, and, and then I think, um, uh, but I think it, it was sort of the, 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 the thing you're describing was kind of what I was going for, I guess, was just, uh, it feels a little tactile. It feels a yeah. little, I like feeling the physicality of it. And so I guess it's like, you know, uh, uh, I like feeling the fact that you're shooting film and, I, and, and, and of course one of the things when you start getting into really larger gauge formats is you lose a little bit. That's you gain resolution, but you lose a little bit that sense of actually being aware of the, it's like thicker brush, You know, I like paintings with nice thick brush strokes and you go up close and you actually see the dot yes. of paint and you can imagine, you know, the painter really carving it in the physicality of that. I love, um, but it doesn't make sense. At least to me, it didn't make sense for stuff like La La Land or, or, or you know something like that, which I wanted to be. But you had sixteen in uh, First Man in pr- the in the house scenes, right? There that, that was sixteen. Well, First First Man was a was a case more like the Eddie, where I conceived of that as a sixteen movie uh, for the most part, and then um, and then we were going to build up to. It was sort of going to be like like uh, you know build up to the moon as the contrast. We're trying to figure out some way how do you make the moon feel alien. And it felt like, well, make people live in a grain swimmy 16 millimeter world for two hours and then show them IMAX. And that'll just kind of, you know, it'll be like going from color to black and white and uh, Wizard of Oz or she's got to have it or something like that. So so that was the idea there. We didn't the fact that a lot of the movie wound up being on 35 was was a practical thing because we 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 found that the 16 16 close up when we were in the capsules was such a, um, you know, 16 falls apart so much once you get wide, but you're never wide in the capsule. So we realized, okay, you know what, actually it'll match better if we do 35 to perf, sort of the closest to 16, you can get 35 to when you're wider, which is what you are on earth, basically, you know, or or how we are in the houses and things like that. Um, So that was just a little bit, but we went back and forth on that. I mean, initially we planned to shoot it all in 16, except for Except for the moon, we wound up shooting um, a mix, you know, uh, uh, everything in capsules in 16 and then some of the stuff in the houses, 16, some of it 35 to perf just to hold up a little bit better. We didn't want to give people too much of a headache. Um, And uh, and then and then IMAX.
2: Yeah, well, I, I love the first man Blu-ray because it does actually take your aspect ratio as we get to the moon and goes. It's so freaking oh, it awesome. Does? Oh, hell yeah, dude. I, I, I put it on my 4K TV and it jumps from the 35 and your image blows fully up to
4: the full frame in the IMAX. There's something weird on. on. That's great. I don't know if it does it on the. I haven't, Maybe it does it on, on the. On like iTunes, but I just I just looked at Dunkirk the other day, and it yep. was all uh, it was all fucking cropped. You, you know, if you streamed, uh, not stream, if you get Dunkirk on iTunes, yeah. And then I looked on message boards, and it wasn't just me. It's like literally the only version as that I know of that they have on iTunes is is two four zero the whole time. It's that's, insane. That's a big problem because Nolan. That's the cool thing about Dark Knight and Interstellar and everything is that
0: he preserves yeah. those
2: ratios, and your four K does that. I mean, if you put this into a four K yeah. player, yeah. it goes boom. It's awesome.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah, Nolan says he really wants you to watch it on your phone. That's what he prefers. (laughs) He says if if you could take no, if just take Dunkirk and put it on on the on your. It's really, it's
4: really what it's meant for. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: The way God intended.
4: That's how I I feel. I I hope you watched First Man on your phone, Kevin. That's of
0: course on my iPod. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Damien, my memory of First Man is seeing it at TIFF at the Planetarium IMAX. Uh, oh, were you
4: in the? Pl- that's great. Uh, I was that's at that fun. Auditorium.
0: Yes. So when you talk about it opening up, it that was one of the most incredible memories i do- have ever. The doors. Like, oh,
4: cool. Oh, it's so. Fun. Oh yeah. Thank you. That's fun.
0: So I want to talk about endings uh, just for a second because you have three feature films with three absolutely perfect endings, and I think endings are one of the hardest things in the world to do um thank you. you nail the culmination the emotional culmination of all the journeys that you've chosen to go on i'm curious with this with the eddie if it's freeing to be able to pass the baton and not have to <laughs> stick the landing <laughs> <laughs>
4: um uh well you know this was so different in the sense that um but but in a nice way for me kind of as an experiment in you know uh, uh just working alongside other directors it was such a different thing so um You know, I might have felt a little more uh, hesitation if I didn't feel as much confidence in the person I was handing the baton to. Right. Um, But I was working alongside uh, this director, Uda Benjamina, French director, um, who's who's tremendous um, and and who had her own just kind of, you know, completely unique to her take on the material. And so I think early on it kind of became it became clear to me and all of us that the, the way to approach this was not not as like well, you know, ideally this would have been all done by one director, you know, has some shows kind of, uh, obviously some shows are all one director, but, mm-hmm. but that's become such a thing these days that a lot of shows that aren't, it feels like sometimes they wish they were. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and here it was a little bit more like, okay, we're going to set out a certain, you know, uh, 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 a certain palette at the beginning that yes, the rest of the show is going to want to swim in a little bit, but only very loosely. And, and, you know, and that each episode was kind of going to kind of kind of highlight a different character and each director was ideally going to kind of put their own stamp on it. So for me, I just felt like I was making my, my little, you know, uh, you know, I guess quarter of the, of the piece. And then it felt like a relay race where it's sort of, I would get, you know, I would take my material up to where it sort of naturally uh, uh, ended and then just pass the baton off knowing that, um, knowing that it would be in good hands, but also in different hands, that that was actually the differences between each thing were part of part of the the appeal, or at least the mm. the the hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: Damien, I'm I'm. You obviously it goes without saying that you have such a great ear for music, and I'm just sort of curious about what your experience is when you just casually listen to music at home. Like, do you have the ability to sort of turn off the switch? Because I'd imagine that to a certain degree, you you hear music and not not that you're picking it apart, but I picture that, that, I don't know if you've seen that gif of Zach Galifianakis from The Hangover where like geometry is swirling in front of his face. I was, you know, how you kind of are uh, no. almost, uh, it's uh, just this that idea. That sounds great. Yeah, it's great. It's great. <laughs> Wait, but, but, so, but is,
4: that, is that, oh, I think I remember that moment. That's in the first Hangover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like sort, sort of his, his, Rain yeah. It's yeah. His, his Rain Man moment. Yeah. it's His Rain Man moment. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> great. And so I was just wondering. John like, Nash, like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I
1: was wondering if you can, if you sort of, whenever you listen to music, are you always sort of listening for the potential to one day maybe be able to utilize it cinematically? Or do you have to sort of, you know, turn off a certain part of your brain to be able to just casually enjoy
4: music? Uh, I, I, um, well, it's a fun part of the brain. So I never really kind of want to turn it off. I guess it does. It does. What gets to be a problem? I think sometimes is if I'm on, because it does sort of conjure up stuff for me. So if I'm, if I'm trying to focus on one project and there's music that is not does not feel like it speaks to that project and maybe makes me want to go off and do another project. Then I have to kind of like, I have to sort of uh, rid that from my life a little bit mm-hmm. temporarily. So I guess that's, that's a, that's um it's the same thing with movies too. You know, I'll try to like only watch certain kinds of movies if I'm, if I'm in a, um, if I'm in a certain state of mind or working on a certain kind of project. So, so, so I mean, a lot of directors do this, but I'll wind up just kind of early on, you know, even sometimes before I'm even writing, um, you know, just, creating playlists and Mm. stuff for myself that are just going to play, um, um, uh, while I'm thinking or writing or, or whatever about that project. So that becomes a little bit the soundtrack for myself. And it's not necessarily music that's in, that's in the piece. It's also not even necessarily, you know, for the Eddie, for instance, I was listening to a lot of not, not just jazz, but a lot of, you know, uh, modern French pop and like, (laughs) uh, uh, and like, uh, sixties. Yeah. Yeah. You know, sort of rock and roll and like, uh, um, you know, and, and, uh, and then, and then, yeah, then a lot, a lot of jazz from different eras as well. So it it doesn't have to be one-to-one in terms of what you're or what I'm shooting in the show, but, um, but it just helps me get in the frame of mind. Um, so yeah. So I, I guess, yeah, music, uh, but I'm always listening to music. So I, I, you know, I just, uh, uh, so I, 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 um, um, I'm definitely not always going into a full blown, like every song gets me going and then this would be shooting the, you know, it's like uh, <laughs> de- definitely not that it's more just about the overall emotion, you know? Yeah. And, um, and it can be so helpful if I just, if I need to access an emotion that I'm trying to just be in for say a scene I'm trying to write or a shot I'm trying to get, can be so helpful just that there's nothing like just that piece of music, that needle drop to just put yeah. me there, you know, that's awesome, which of course that's is awesome. how, how it is for, for, for everyone really to a certain extent, you know, yeah. it's kind of it's sort of the way music can, Cut through.
2: Yeah. Well, oh, yeah. well Damien, I'm yeah. going to, I'm going to skip the question. I was going to ask you and ask you this. Cause you just mentioned needle, needle drop. Um, we play games on our show uh, a lot every week. Like that are like, like our show's called real blend R E E L. So we do yeah. like, you know, we'll do like Chazelle blend or we'll do like Coen brothers blend or whatever, who we're talking mm-hmm. about that week. We did a needle drop blend on our show a few weeks back and we all chose our favorite moment where a, a music cue hits in a film and drives you through the scene. What would your mm. choice be for that?
4: So would that be then like a like a pre like a needle drop where it's a pre exist not score but like a correct an existing
1: yeah. song yeah I chose uh, tiny dancer and almost famous
4: yeah yeah that's beautiful and they're singing on the bus
0: and, I went with under pressure um, from gross point blank
4: <laughs> that's great um, uh, needle drop um, I would say f- and m- maybe this is. Uh, Maybe this is also like a personal thing because I remember I remember when it came out and just talking about sticking the landing. For me, the um, uh, "Baby, You're a Rich Man" at the end of uh, oh. so, Social Network. Yes, just, oh my gosh, like, dude, yes, perfect. so perfect. <laughs> it's so good. Um, it's so good because you would think it wouldn't. You'd think it were. It would to, normally. I have such an allergy to needle drops where the lyrics feel like they're explicitly commenting on. The action, I hate mm. that so much. You know, where someone's like sad, and then there's a sad song going, "I'm lonely." <laughs> you know, it's like, oh god. So, so you'd think, like, oh my god, how could you? It feels like groan inducing. You're gonna end the Social Network with like the title card: he's the youngest billionaire with like baby or rich man. That's so, and then on top of that. I love the Beatles. It's never been my favorite Beatles song. Right. Um, At least until, until the social network came out and like something, I don't know what it was about where my emotions were at the end of that movie. And then that hitting first coming up under the pushing on Mark and then hitting with the cut to black and the credits roll. it just was like, it gave that song such, and the movie, like it, the greatest needle drops are where both song and movie come out ahead, you know? Yeah. Where like, where that that song was made better by that for me and certainly the movie was made better by that. They literally a wonderful just kind of conjoining
0: that you wouldn't think that would David work. That David Fincher can direct a movie. He really knows how to direct <laughs> yeah. a movie. Yeah, and, and
4: I realized that this kid Fincher was going places. <laughs> <laughs> I think my, my wait,
2: Sean, did I choose Stuck in the Middle with You in, from Reservoir Dogs? I think I, I did. I believe he did. did k Billy!
4: Super sounds. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty iconic. Sounds right. And again, yeah, speaking of like a needle drop, that you can't hear that song the same way anymore. Yeah, it's just. uh,
0: Damien. Also, if you miss us when we're finished, we actually just recorded our very first commentary track um, for. Where the three of us sit down and yeah. chat about a movie, and we actually did the Social Network for our first film. So yeah,
4: oh that's so fun. Yeah. So you guys do? Where do you find those? Are it's those on like on, YouTube. on the we website have it on YouTube
0: or? or wherever you can download do you podcasts? Do, do, we have a, Do you do the whole movie we like a the comment? whole movie? Yeah, yeah. so that's you just awesome. you queue it up to when we start, and then it's just us idiots talking over <laughs> David Fincher and Aaron Sorkin as <laughs> as you should.
4: <laughs> that's great. I love
0: it. We'll do one of yours next. Um, I, it's weird for us to have you on. I'd have to sort of gush just for a little bit because when we started this show, uh, it was two years ago. Uh, we started it around the time of the Oscar season. Uh, we called ourselves awards blend when we started. We just knew the three of us wanted to do something together. Uh, you guys were in the thick of first man coming out. We were covering a lot of those films, but yeah, we've been such huge fans of your work. Um, Whiplash and La La Land were my number ones the year that they came out. Yeah. Uh, I actually oh, just we did dec- uh, the best of the decade. I picked La La Land for the, the best of the past decade. I mean, it's just oh, your, thanks, your talent blows us away. Uh, we, we christened you a patron saint uh, of the show, uh, and I mean, <laughs> literally on a, on a yes. Yeah. Whenever you we talk christened. about Damien Chazelle, <laughs> we would we'd would say patron saint. Oh, this is
4: saint. so great. This is gonna make my this. Kevin, you've made you, you've made my Catholic parents very happy. My, my my French Catholic family is doing high yeah high I mean, jumps we, right we now. We make the
0: sign of the cross. We've mentioned yes. Damien Chazelle,
4: yeah. um, So that means I can like baptize kids now. Like, yeah, can, come, like uh, like
2: yeah. yes great. Dude, dude. one's on here every week baptizing kids. You gotta come on. Oh yeah yeah. <laughs> oh that's right
1: that's right. I heard about it. But it's that. gotta be like in a bowl of film. It's just like like you just <laughs> dip them down in film and then yeah. bring them back.
2: We we <laughs> use these like seventy millimeter. Oh, Airland and Sea Prince or something like
4: that. Yeah, yeah. yeah just sort of put the baby
2: in. <laughs> but one of the
0: games that we play, and we want you to play along with this too, um, is that we always have a Rushmore. We do our personal yeah. Rushmore of, of four directors who just you know they're infallible essentially. And uh, we have this. We all three of us have like three that are locks, and that fourth one shifts constantly. We're always like, oh god, maybe it's this person. If you had your four Rushmore directors, who would you who would you go with? Now again, this is papal. Uh, papal law from from a patron saint
4: oh great so it's just gonna be carved right away <laughs> yeah. um, Instantaneous. Uh, so and, and th- th- this uh just living or dead
0: uh yeah. yes yeah yeah yep. anyway
4: um so just all time mm-hmm. uh well yeah it's it's kind of like yeah the it's a better way of asking like yeah what your favorite films are favorite film directors it's it's um like uh, the problem is, I'm going to give a different answer every week. Probably, um, I'd say right now, if you asked me, cha- uh, Chaplin is always in there for me. Mm. Um, and then, um, then, 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 then it starts <laughs> to like, then it starts to waffle. Um, uh, I think Chaplin, Dreyer, uh, Hitchcock, definitely. Um, that's that's the only and, one. Let's <laughs> uh, see. Yeah, and Wells. Yeah, okay. Chaplin, Dryer Hitchcock, Wells, maybe. Okay. So
1: well, that's, I don't know. My Mount, Mount Rushmore
4: like, feels so Mount superficial Martins. now. <laughs> oh, yeah? Does my, does my Mount Rushmore beat your Mount Rushmore?
1: I, I, th- I think on the playground your Mount Rushmore would beat up my <laughs> Mount Rushmore.
0: <laughs> it's hilarious. So Jake that's has great. whoever did the Final Destination series.
1: <laughs> hey,
4: I like the Final Destination <laughs>
2: series. Hey, those, Me too. Hey, those, the,
4: those series are, are uh, those movies, I haven't seen all of them, but some of them are, are kind of brilliant. Dude, it's like this, very, uh, that, that freeway scene—they're scene. they're like music. Well, they—they uh, they are like musicals. It's just like perfect little like uh, yeah. dance numbers with the. Are you, are you talking about the freeway scene where like the log goes yes. through the guy, yeah. the hey, coffee hey. cup, in the? Yeah. Lo- I mean, it's yeah. What's not to love? It's pretty great. <laughs> it's brilliant. <laughs> they are about to redo the DVD cover and put that quote from Damon Chazelle. <laughs> you guys have to do a commentary on that. Oh, you should come on
2: one. and do it with us. We'll do a final no, be destination okay. commentary.
4: You—that'll <laughs> be—that'll be. Yeah, I'll be the guest slot.
0: That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> All right,
2: yeah. Damien, I—I uh, uh, think we're—they're uh, telling us our time is up at this moment, but we want to say thank you for joining us. Um, I, oh, thank
4: you guys. We—we we really appreciate you oh, so much. Hope you—hope you guys are hanging in. You Seem like you are. Good spirits.
0: Okay, so obviously, um, Damien was the answer to the poll. And uh, But it is worth noting that the winner of the poll was Christopher Nolan. And I think we're okay to say, like, Kevin doesn't like us to say stuff because it's always like, if it happens, if it happens. But what I can say, I Wait. think, is that, well, I'm just going to say that we are, of course, trying to get Nolan for Tenet. Like, if and when Tenet becomes a movie, because we know it's going to be a movie, um, Warner Brothers is a studio that likes this show. That's not saying too much. They... They gave us the director of Scoob, which was another fantastic interview. Uh, clearly, Warner Brothers is the one that gave us um, –
2: Joaquin Phoenix.
0: Yeah, and we came out of that, and they gave us Todd Phillips. So um, they like Roblin, and they have the new Christopher Nolan. So I think there's a, a possibility that sooner or later the vote-getter in our poll uh, might end up being on Roblin. Jake, you're laughing.
1: Uh, no, I'm just, I'm just laughing because I love that you go in from like – They gave us the director of Scoob. Naturally, we're going to get Christopher Nolan.
2: Of course, of course. (laughs) Tony Cervoni was really good, though. I mean, actually,
1: I I listened to that interview. That was a great interview. I I wish I could have taken part of it.
2: I'll say this about Chazelle. I mean, what was cool about that interview for me personally was just talking to him about like film stock. I mean, he or film gauge. Like he was very, very big into the different filming. And I love how he had how he had to fight for the super 16 millimeter he wanted to use. In the eddy, and that just goes to show you that you know when you're a director, you could easily go the the digital route if you want, but if you really care about the work you're working on, you're gonna shoot it on the format that you want it to look the best on. I mean, it's the same reason why Snyder shoots film. And Sean and I were geeking out about Man of Steel today and how the grain looked and how beautiful it looked on 35. Um, So I think with Chazelle is just one of the greatest filmmakers working today. And I rewatched La La Land over the weekend, and it just brought such joy into my mind um we I've been inside for two and a half months not complaining very lucky to be working from home but to see people dancing on a freeway in Los Angeles with all these different colors and like the big beautiful winner and the song um it just kind of it just it just gave me a big jolt it just jolted me it gave me I don't know it just gave me more life watching that movie and, I, and you know we've discussed this a lot on the show before about the way he uses bittersweet endings and um, the reality of La La Land and as how as heightened as that film really is it is a very grounded piece of work and very very relatable material um, but honestly that was a big deal to have him on and, and thank you so much to his PR team and, and, and obviously Netflix for helping us set that up because that meant so much to us and your La La Land was number one of the decade for Sean so that was a really big deal to have him on or Show, um, but hopefully maybe he'll come back on for Final Destination. I would love so much to do a Final Destination Two commentary with him. And the, what I loved about him, there was a moment in that interview. And this is my favorite moment of the whole interview, and then I'll shut up. But essentially, there's a moment in the interview where Damien, all he says is, "Is that the one where the log goes through the window in Final Destination Two, or something on those lines?" And and I stopped for a second and said to myself, "Damien's our age. He." probably had the same filming experiences that we did. Like he probably saw Final Destination. It felt like we were talking to a dude.
1: Like it just felt like we were just talking to like like one of us, like if we were sitting at a table and we were trying to figure out which Final Destination was like, it didn't feel like we were talking to the Academy Award winning director of La La Land. It felt like we were all
2: just hanging out, trying to figure out which Final Destination was which. But that was the weird moment for me where the interview became like, A little bit surreal like there it's funny because when you're doing an interview and you can probably tell this in our interview sometimes and it's just just the way we're 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 operating as, as interviewers and hosts You go into interview mode and then you go into conversation mode. And there's two completely different modes there. Uh, If you actually listen to the interview, I'll I'll call myself out. In the beginning of the interview, uh, we were just chatting with Damien. And then you can actually clearly hear me switch to questions of topic for what we have him on for. And Gabe's always talking about this idea of making these more conversational, which I completely agree with him on. Like you want these conversations to be more fluid versus just back and forth answers. But at the end of the interview, when he said the log through the window, That was the moment where it almost like struck me. I'm like, we're just like Jake just said, we're just talking to a friend like this guy is us. He just happens to be an Oscar winning filmmaker who directed La La Land, Whiplash and First Man. He happens to be one of the best filmmakers working today, probably ever. Um, So that was a really cool moment to have him. Just want to say thank you.
0: Uh, Also, it's funny you mentioned La La Land. I instead watched Whiplash uh, in preparation and it's um, not filling me with joy (laughs) It's quite the opposite actually it's one of the most stress inducing films ever uh my takeaway from the conversation with um damien was that how much thought he put into his openings and how he's like that comment from him yeah i never once heard a director talk about that or or thought of the significance of those opening minutes of the only time where i i'm guaranteed to have your full attention And just that in basketball, they call it court awareness, right? Just to have that court awareness about how his movie plays, blows my mind. Because Chazelle still at his age,
2: Chazelle comes from a camp of directors that genuinely care about the audience's immersion in their stories. Um, It's the same reason why Nolan shoots his movies the way he does. It's the same reason why Snyder shoots the movie the movies the way he does. Spielberg, Abrams, these are all filmmakers who are and Tarantino who are very very detail oriented about you watching their film and never losing suspension of disbelief. And what Damien says there at the beginning, Sean's exactly right. I've never heard a filmmaker explain it like that. Like he has your undivided attention before an actual visual cut takes place. Now, he has three stitches uh, in that in that opening one or on the freeway. They're very not. They're not too obvious. Like you'll see him flip the camera one way or you'll go through like a, a car door or something like that. But they're not obvious edits, just like 1917. And I guess you would put it in the same uh, regard. But this is a six minute oneer with three stitches in it. And like Sean just said, he has your full undivided attention for those six minutes. Now, when he finally cuts the scene for you visually as the audience, then it's the decision on you to stay with it. And I think that's the powerhouse of an opening will define your entire viewing experience. And that opener is exactly what he wants to say. And it completely complements the rest of the film. the
0: opening scene in First Man,
2: the opening of First. Oh, wow, I don't. Remember. I'm off the top of my head. The opening of First Man. Oh, opening of First Man is when Gosling is doing a test run into space. Isn't that? Isn't that this? And he's up. And he's up there. And he
0: crashes. Stratosphere. And yeah. Then... Okay. All right. All right that, that's right. I was trying to. I think so. Because
2: there's two of those. There's one later, but, but I believe the opening is him doing some kind of test run that eventually leads him to a accident. Yeah.
0: Gabe says correct. All right, um, right. Let's move into news. Uh, and t- today was a day. Uh, so today, Zack Snyder uh, hosted a Man of Steel watch party on Vero. And the end result is that the Snyder Cut is coming to HBO Max. Now, I said this to the boys Uh, before we even started, I have no intention of this podcast becoming a Snyder Cut podcast. Like, so much of my life is consumed by this because if you don't know yet, if you haven't heard... Look at your shirt. Yeah. (laughs) Look at my shirt. Look at my hat. God. You're like me with my Metallica shirt. Like, get over it already. Jesus. I am writing a book about the Snyder Cut um, movement. I'm writing about the history of the Snyder Cut, what happened, why Zach left, why he was replaced by Joss Whedon, um, and then the people who have been fighting for Zach's version to be restored and, and the people in the hashtag release the Snyder Cut movement uh, stand for in their in their own words, artistic integrity and the vision of a filmmaker being supported by the studio who backed him. Uh, and also, uh, mental awareness, uh, mental health awareness, suicide prevention, uh, Zach's, uh, the reason why Zach left justice league in the first place in 2017 is because his daughter autumn committed suicide. He thought he could work his way through it, that the work would distract him. Uh, the opposite happened. He needed to be around his family and he was replaced by Joss Whedon. And so, that story in my opinion has never really been put together in one place and also trying to figure out like why all these people, these fans dedicated all their time and their money and their resources. And for the past two and a half years, why they have fought so hard for this release of Snyder cut campaign. And so the story has been coming together and I never knew, like the only comparison or the closest comparison that you could think of on the DC side of it, it was the um, Richard Donner cut where Richard Donner, when he was filming the original Superman filmed uh, the footage for Superman and Superman 2 at the same time. Um, but at some point, he had to stop the work on Superman 2 because he needed to finish Superman to get it ready for its theatrical cut, so it was unfinished. In the interim of when that first movie came out and before he could get back to the sequel, he fell out with the producers. Like They just had several disagreements, a lot about uh, how much money should be spent on the sequel. They were uh, notoriously tight, uh, tight-budgeted and Donner would not go forward with the work that they wanted to do on the sequel, so he was replaced by a guy named Richard Lester and Richard Lester uh, finished Superman 2 and then the fans fought for Donner's cut and the Donner cut of Superman 2 finally came out on DVD in 2006 I want to say that it was so it was a 25 year gap and that could have happened to Snyder like he literally could have had to wait 25 years before the studio agreed to let him release his cut But we now know that it's coming to HBO Max in 2021, um, which means that this book that I've been planning, which was also due to hit in 2021, uh, has a satisfying ending. And no, I don't need to see what the Snyder Cut is, Um, because the book became more about the movement. And were they ever gonna get to hear that their efforts paid off? And today was the day that their efforts paid off. And it was just, um, it was beautiful. It was it was truly beautiful. It was a fantastic, fantastic day.
2: Yeah, Sean and I watched it together. Uh, Snyder did this amazing thing where we, we watched Man of Steel all together. He had his storyboards, books. Sean and I did the same thing for BVS. It was awesome. Um, and Man of Steel, you know, Jake, we all, we all love this movie. It's such a great film. Um, but to watch it with him live, talking about it with storyboards, um, two things I wanted to bring up. One, today was a, today was a really uh, eye-opening thing, day for me specifically, where I always understood how important this movement was and how important it was to Sean and kind of why he was telling the story. And, you know, the book is about the fight to save the movie, not the end result of the, what the movie ends up being. Um, which is what Sean, I think, was trying to say. And, and so what's inter- interesting about the storyline is today I'm, I'm on this live stream and Snyder brings up Henry Cavill and brings up all these longtime fans of, you know, Justice League and Snyder's movies. Um, and I asked, you know, Sean, I'm like, Sean, who are these people? And he goes, oh, these are the diehard fans who have been with the movement since the beginning. And this was my first time visually seeing these people. So to watch them talk to snyder and cavill about their love of what the movie meant and what the movement is meant to them was just like it was tear-jerking I mean, it was like i was genuinely moved by every aspect of it because these are the people talking directly to the filmmaker who affected their lives in some way and that to me was a beautiful thing to watch and the second thing i wanted to mention i want to get sean's and jake's opinion on this some of the backlash on social media is whether or not the artistic integrity element of it is very interesting uh, debate, um, whether or not fandom should change a movie or fandom should, uh, you know, in, in in any way, shape or form, release a different cut of a film because fans were complaining. I think this film is in a separate boat from that. I mean, if, if a movie came out and the director was not replaced and the movie just ended up being bad and they were and they were asking for another cut of it. I feel like that's crossing a line. You already put your movie out the way you wanted to put it out. There was no director replacement. This is a situation where Snyder's movie was completely changed, as Sean will tell you. I mean, Joss Whedon stepped in, shot scenes that completely threw off the uh, the look of the movie. It threw off everything. And Sean and I have had discussions. You can actually pinpoint moments, literally, when Whedon steps in. The opening scene is all Whedon. Uh, the opening song, which I don't, I don't know if that's Whedon. I hate that opening song. Uh, I don't know. It's a terrible song. But the point I want to make and I want to get your opinion on is in this particular case, I thought this was completely legitimate and it, it had to happen because of artistic integrity. Snyder never made the movie he wanted to make or never put out the movie he wanted to put out. What's wrong with letting him do that? I mean, he was replaced How is that how is that make a problem with fandom? I know people are saying, oh, this is going to be a slippery slope. Is this going to happen for a bunch of other movies? Look at Sonic the Hedgehog, you know, things like that. But I don't know. What are your thoughts on on fandom in general? I think this was a right thing to do, not a wrong thing. I don't think it goes backwards at all.
0: Jakey, you got a take on
2: it? Honestly, this is what this is one of those situations where I kind of
1: just want to sit back. I kind of want you to take this and run with it because I feel like this is your thing. I'm more more interested in hearing what you have to say about it.
0: Yeah, it's. to me, it, it's a completely isolated case. Um, okay. But the way that I the way that I compare it is, this is the this is supposed to be for DC fans the first time that that the characters that they love the most, the, the Justice League, was going to be united on screen. Um, yeah. They got a tease of it in BVS with the Trinity, uh, which is Wonder Woman, Batman, and Superman, and you know small cameo teases of Aquaman, Flash, and Cyborg. But they were getting, and the way that I compare it, and I. It's really funny. Like it took a long time for me to to um, win over the Snyder Cut uh, fans um, because they're a very protective group and they don't they they expect to be um, almost mocked because they've been treated really poorly on social media and in the press for even demand for even asking for this cut. Right. But the way that I tried to explain it to them was like, look, guys, I'm a Marvel kid, you know, like. I've got the Avengers movies over my shoulder. Like, that's who I grew up... I read DC Comics, too, but not a ton. I read mostly Marvel. And and then I'll put it in a way that, that Jake will appreciate as well, too. If, if I knew that an Avengers movie was coming, and not even the first one, but like Infinity War or Endgame, I knew it was coming. Um, I couldn't wait to see it. Before it opened, they replaced the Russo brothers, for whatever <laughs> reason, and then they hired, you know, the guy MG. who directs... McGee. Perfect. Yeah, perfect. McGee. But they said, don't worry. Look, the Russos had a, a, a tragedy, but McG is going to come in. He's just going to finish the, the, their tone. You know, they, he's going to just complete what the Russos had set up. Uh, and then you watched it and it was like nothing like the Russos would do at all. Like, you know, it was like bad jokes and digital CGI and, and just a complete sort of monstrosity. You'd say, "Wait a second! I want to see what the Russos did. Where's the Where's that Russo version? You know, like they were. And and you know that he was done with. Like Zach was done with filming. Yeah. He was in post production. The cast had shot pictures, like ready for the rap party. You know, like they were. They were far enough along. Or Jake. Let me. I'll put it in the perspective of the, the way that you were coming at it. Rise of Skywalker, right? culmination of, uh, of this 40 year saga. JJ's coming back. He did force awakens. I can't believe it. It's amazing. You know, like I can't wait to see what he does. He finishes filming of it. They're heading into post-production. He has a tragedy and they look around and they're like, who are we going to get to finish it off? And they pick a random and stuff it in there. Ron Howard, Ron Ron Howard. (laughs) And then you watch it and it's terrible right? Wouldn't you immediately think? Of course. Oh, wait a second. I, w- what did you Here's
1: I, I want to play devil's advocate for, for one second. And and, and I, I appreciate that you say that like, this is an isolated case. And, and trust me, I, I have been cheering for this. I have massive respect for the movement and, and what it stands for, because it stands for something that's much bigger than just a movie. Um, my, my fear that comes out of this is a little taste of what I have, I have already started seeing on social media, which is now other directors cuts being called for. I feel like it to me, it's the equivalent of like we just finished running a marathon and then you're over there like just puking your guts up. Your feet are bleeding. You're like you feel like you want to die. And someone comes over and goes, so we got another marathon to start tomorrow. You ready for it? Like like can we just enjoy it? And I know that to a certain degree people are joking, but I also do think that like this is going to start. Potentially a dangerous precedent where like just because you don't like a movie doesn't mean that like there is another cut out like like honestly and Kevin tweeted or texted the group earlier like okay like the Ayer cut like yes like I fully believe that there's probably another Ayer a David Ayer cut of Suicide Squad but like I'm tired. Like, I want to like, see it like I, I, I can't start this whole thing again. I can't start. But- I can't start a, another hashtag movement and I can't start another. I can't I can't get invested in this again. Like, can't we just
0: cats CGI buttholes? Oh, that's, but- going, that's going to Quibi.
1: But like, can't can't can we just like breathe for a moment before like we start? That, that's that's to me the only downside coming out of this is that like it's just about to like like we put out one fire and 15 others are about to start getting ignited. Like, is, is that is that unfair to say?
0: It's fair to say, but I don't think that there are that many films mm-hmm. where the production was messed with that. David Ayer, you could almost argue, possibly, because yes. he, he talks a lot about concept stuff that he wanted to go in a different direction. And it's funny, in a tangential sort of way, Ayer's cut was affected by what they did to Snyder, because Ayer... Right. David Ayer was supposed to have parademons in his movie, and he was supposed to have Steppenwolf. And then somewhere along the way, the executives that were making decisions on what they're going to do with Whedon on on Justice League, they also looked at Ayer's cut at the same time. And they were like, well, he can't use Steppenwolf. We're going to use Steppenwolf over here. So they made him ramp up the Enchantress and take Joker out of his third act. So it's like that was uh, the waves that were rippling out from all of these decisions, but you're not going to turn around it like any other major film, you know, directors just for the most part, don't shoot that much stuff that doesn't yeah, make but, it into the final product, you know?
2: But air, I think David air deserves a, a cut as release as well. And like uh, to Jake's point I, and Sean's point, I don't think there are that many films that had problematic productions like that, especially with justice league the reason why i feel like this is an isolated incident that sean just said is that problem that set problem ended up affecting other films it affected the mission impossible film it affected the removal of a mustache which became a big joke um and so to me that's a film that deserves to be re-released it's a film that earned that quality now rise of skywalker I like Yoda Skywalker. Jake liked Yoda Skywalker. If that got a re-release, I would have a problem with that. JJ made the movie, and he and he put the movie out. Yes, but, he but did. But it's have not
1: to, out of the ordinary. It's not unusual for studios to step in, and 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 whether it's a ripple effect from another film or not. Like, look what happened to Josh Trank. Like, is there a Trank version? Is there a Trank cut of Fantastic Four? Like, it's not un- Like, it's not unusual.
0: Say that because I do think he's one of the other cases. He yeah, is one of the other. Cases. I agree. But, like, Trank, I, I, I imagine there are a in... lot
1: of directors out there that, that would probably step up and go, like, okay, maybe it's not the Snyder Cut circumstances, but, like, Tr- the studio messed with my movie a little bit. Like, like yeah, I would I, argue, I would say that, like, the, the theatrical cut of, of Ridley Scott's Kingdom of Heaven is not a good movie. But have you ever seen his cut? Or, or even his cut of Blade Runner? Like, that probably happens a lot more than we think.
2: It just doesn't come with the pomp and circumstance that the Snyder Cut had. I just don't want to do this every week. I, see, I... I, I I disagree. I'm actually completely down for this. I think this is a I think this is a wake up call for Hollywood to stop maneuvering and messing with directors visions. I'm sorry See that I mean, I'm down
1: can... for. So like, OK, like uh, I'm I'm all for like studios stepping back and letting filmmakers. What I'm not down for is a movie coming out and then the director like saying, you know, five years later, wait, that's not the real vert Like I can't like that's... like
2: let let's let's try to get it right the first time. But we're not talking about, but that's a completely different situation. A, a movie coming out and then a director saying, oh, I have a different cut five years later is different than Zack Snyder being, ta- essentially leaving his movie, having another director come in. I understand in. that
1: like the, the circumstances are different, but the, uh, this idea, and it's not the first time it's happened, it's not the last time it's gonna happen, but the, the idea of people getting multiple shots in a movie is not something I want to become a regular thing. But Snyder
2: never got his shot. Snyder never got his shot at his movie.
1: No, I I, I understand that. I, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. But, what, but my, my argument is, I, what I don't want to happen is now every time film Twitter doesn't like a movie and they catch wind of some sort of studio involvement, which does happen a lot, not to not to the Snyder circumstances, but it does happen a lot that they say, oh, okay, I want what the director was going to do.
0: Here's, here's one thing that, that Snyder did that most won't do, I don't think is he encouraged it, yeah. um, you know, at, also, whenever people, I, I, whenever I people lobbied to see his version of it, um, when he when he very easily could have said multiple times, like, guys, I've moved on, you know? And I think in most cases, the directors move on. Mm-hmm. When we talked to Josh Trank for Capone, he was very open about his Fantastic Four stuff, but in no way did he make it clear, like, I want to revisit that and fix it. You know, he's, I, I get the impression that he's saying, that's in my past. Yeah. Zach, I can tell you, has told me to my face, he views that as a whole in his filmography and he wants to correct it. Yeah. I think a lot of the filmmakers, even if they were studio interference, it was a compromise during the creative process. The film came out, they're moving on to their next project. Zach was very adamant about wanting to fix this.
2: But Snyder was embarrassed. Like, I, 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 Snyder, when, that, when Justice League came out, that was an embarrassment to him. Like, it was not the movie that he made. And
0: they on it. That's right. It's insult.
2: And what what's interesting about the situation is I think David Ayer also deserves the same treatment here because I know that David Ayer made a different movie than the movie I saw. I know he did because those trailers, and I'm not saying trailers are always indi- indicate a great movie, but knowing David Ayer's style and his direction and all the posts that were coming out of that set and then the trailers for it, there's a movie there that he made that I want to see. Now, I think David Ayer's story is a little different but there was studio um, interference. Snyder's is on such a different level that I don't think it will create a precedent that people can change things. And I do feel like Sonic changed for the better. And I think we could take it case by case and look at certain things and go, yeah, maybe the, maybe Sonic does look terrible. We should probably fix this. Yeah. Or Snyder does deserve to release his cut. We really you know, messed up. We brought in Whedon. It screwed up the whole Justice League. This trilogy that he'd been creating since Man of Steel. And those make sense. I do think that people aren't going to look at this and think it's a it's a gateway for other things to happen for every movie. I just think that this situation, in my opinion, the message that today sent was stay away from my movie. Let me make the movie I'm making. You hired me to make this movie. You hired Chris Miller and Phil Lord to make Solo. Let them make the movie that you that they want to make. Stop interfering. Solo failed because of the in-studio interference. In my personal opinion, it also wasn't a great movie. But had Solo been released the way it was intended and shot, I guarantee you it would have been a hit. Now, I don't know that for sure. So so, so you gar- think
1: people online are going to use rationality and logic? When making decisions about like, cause I, I think, because Kevin, I think all of your points are hundred percent, right. I think I agree with you hundred percent. My, my going back to my initial fear was that it set off this trigger of like, wait a second. I didn't like that movie. And I heard that the studio involved, got involved in changing this and that. So give me the director's cut. Like that's, that's my fear is that like, that instantly people's knee-jerk reaction is going to go, well, you gave me, you gave him the Snyder cut, so I want this director's cut of this movie because I heard that they made him change the ending. Like, that's that's the only dangerous part. I, I agree with both of your points 110%. I think Snyder's circumstances are beyond comparable. I just worry about people not thinking about that and not uh, thinking about it rationally or logically and just
2: knee-jerking and going, well, he got what he wanted, so I want what I want. Ironically, what you just said is weird because the reason the Snyder Cut is being released is because of people online doing that in a strange way. No, but people online use rationality and logic. I'm
1: arguing that a lot of people right now are are, are going to start using or not use rationality and logic. I see what you're
2: saying. I see what you're and saying. And in
0: time, the media legitimized it. But there, But there have been a bunch of other little flare-ups of release this, release that, and you can almost step back and look at them and be like, that's not going to go anywhere. And it fizzles. It fizzles. Yeah. If there's if there's any precedent, then we'll move on after this because, again, um, we've exhausted this stuff. No,
2: it's a great topic. This is, the, this is about I, artistic integrity. I don't mean to
1: be like the, Deb, the Debbie Downer of this. I, I'm just talking about like what the – potential ripple effects of of this monumental moment in movie history is going to be. It's the
2: same exact argument that Jake and I have about our logic of Tenet being released or not. It's the exact same thing. Jake's just coming at it from a logical standpoint. I'm coming at it from more of an emotional standpoint, but I think there's somewhere in the middle you can find. Sean, one quick question. I have one quick question and and just about a small detail of this
1: story that astounds me. When when he when Sean, when, I'm sorry, with Sean, when Zack Snyder walked away from Justice League to go deal with family issues in the Hollywood Reporter article, he said that, like, he walked away with all of his footage. Like how like is that fairly common? Like, can you just straight up like walk away with your the footage that you shot, like on a hard drive and keep that? Because he he had all of that stuff. Like, how do you how do you walk away with
0: that? How did the studio not stop him? That's a great question. And one that I honestly don't have the answer to.
2: I'll tell you why. I, th- I think I know why. When you're someone like, I think when you're at that point in your career and you're Zack Snyder, that's, I bet you no one can take his footage home. I bet you Tarantino takes his footage home. I bet you. Yeah, but, you know, but there's Spielberg. still their
1: movies. It wasn't Snyder's movie anymore.
2: No, I agree. But I do think that there are certain filmmakers that are at a certain level that can probably bring stuff home. I, I I bet you JJ brings Star Wars stuff home with him. I guarantee it. I mean, in the sense of, I think that Snyder is not like a young director. He's not like a first time director walking into a studio, making a justice league movie. They, they've been working with him since 300 and all these big movies on Warner brothers. So they kind of just trust Snyder. Now I don't know for sure what they gave him or what he went home with, but I feel like Snyder was at a level at that point where he could just bring anything home with him. I guarantee I mean, In the
0: run-up to when he knew he was probably going to have to leave, I wonder if he just made copies. That's true.
2: The, 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 uh, for people uh, who didn't watch the live stream today, there was a really funny bit that occurred before the announcement about a thumb drive where Snyder was joking about, like, if if I really wanted to release this, I would have just put it on a thumb drive and left it in a bathroom for someone to find. Uh, and then he went into this whole rant about, like, I'm kidding. Please don't pick up things in the bathroom. And Henry <laughs> Cavill was, like, really worried about people getting germs or picking up something from a thumb drive. But it was a, it was a really cool event. Uh, I do recommend people seeing it. I believe it's on Vero. Um, uh, at the end of the day. Uh, please check it out. I mean, if, you could, if you're could, if you a Man of Steel fan, it's really fun to sit there, prop your iPad up, have Snyder sit right in front of you. It's almost like you're watching it with him in his theater. It's a really cool thing. I laughed
0: thing. really hard at a comment from one of his diehard fans that said, I've never wanted Man of Steel to be over this quickly. <laughs> Dude!
2: Honestly, I-, I will tell you right now, Jake, we woke up, woke up this morning and Jake sends a text and says, it's Christmas. And I was like, you know what? It kind of is. So as I'm sitting there watching Man of Steel today with with uh, with Sean and we're like messaging each other over Hangout, I felt like a kid on Christmas morning who was waiting for my parents to wake up so I could go downstairs and open up my presents. And you knew you had this two-hour window where oh, your parents the were worst. Still sleeping, right? And you get up at six and they and they're not up until eight, and you can't go downstairs because your dad told you you won't get your gifts if you don't go downstairs. So I'm sitting there watching Man of Steel. I'm the same way, Sean. I love that movie. I'm, but I'm like, please just get to the Zod death. So and that's not get a short this. movie. No. And, but, you know, I loved watching it with Debbie and Zach. I, I, I thought it was really cool how they explained the character. And there's so many great details in there about great moments. Watch it, please.
0: All right. Let's get to the next bit of news, which is the fact that the 2020 osc 2021 Oscars uh, are planning to potentially be delayed. And um I want to get your guys opinion on that. Uh it, what is the reason behind this that they're not going to have enough movies to choose from? That they don't think that the industry is going to be able to gather in a group for a show? Like I don't understand the reasoning behind this. Does anybody I, have any I
1: feel like it's the former in that I mean there is sort of this ongoing joke of like oh, you know, Bad Boys is going to win Best Picture, or, like, Sonic's going to win Best Picture. But at the end of the day, like, really, you know, when you think about the number of movies that are, like... Scr- I mean, think about last year, just the movies that came out in the last three months of last year that were fighting for for, for Best Picture. Like, you know, like... And yes, they have opened it up to uh, streaming movies that can prove that they were going to go to theaters, but even then, it's a fairly shallow lake. Like, it's still not going to be. And I think, you know... Is it going to be uh, sort of you know uh, a situation where whatever wins Best Picture next year sort of has that asterisk next to it like yeah you won but like your competition was Sonic you know like like I I think their argument is like maybe but then again the the isn't the it, it's uh, still December thirty first right like even if the ceremony gets pushed back the eligibility date is not
0: changed I mean unless they don't unless they change that also what's interesting
3: what's going
2: I don't know. I, it's, I mean, it's interesting. It's actually an interesting question. You know, what's going to come out? But like, I think the, the answer to your question, Sean, comes down to this idea that if it's going to be postponed, I think it has to do with productions, movies that were supposed to come out in like October, November, December that aren't finished, that would have been potential Oscar uh, pieces. You know, it's funny. We're talking about taking footage home. Uh, Jake and I interviewed Andy Serkis uh, last week, and he was in the middle of literally editing Venom 2 in the room that I was uh, interviewing him from which was crazy. Um, and so there's a lot of these productions that were able to finish production and they can edit now like *Tenant* and things like that and, and hopefully still get those to release. But there are probably, I don't even know, I'm just guessing, a bunch of films that were supposed to come out in October, November, December that were Oscar-worthy films that either one, need to do reshoots, need to do some pickup shots, some ADR stuff they can't pull off right now. I don't know what what the social distancing thing is. Other side of the coin is this. If you're the Academy, now I guess technically speaking, Variety announced this. So the Academy has not publicly made a statement about this yet.
0: Um, Variety does say that it's unclear if postponing the Oscars will also mean that the Academy will allow films released after the year end deadline to qualify for the 2021 Oscars.
2: But it's interesting that, that this that this story came out because the Oscars changed their eligibility in, in April. So, for example, the movie Greyhound, which we're going to get to in the show uh, later on, um, is moving to Apple Plus uh, and, and Apple TV Plus. And what's interesting about that move is it's a gigantic tom hanks you know special effects driven world war ii naval film which looks awesome by the way i think the trailer is great for it uh they're moving that to uh, apple tv plus that movie can still win an oscar for best picture or anything because any movie that had a theatrical window we've said this in the show that had a seven day theatrical window in la county for seven days straight three times a day that's your automatic approval to be uh, eligible for an Oscar. But any movie that had a theatrical release date that has now been forced to move to VOD can still get that eligibility.
0: King of Staten guess, Island.
2: Right. So I guess, Mike, can we just, just give why delay it to it Fincher then? for Mank?
1: Can we finally give can we just give Fincher
2: an no, Oscar? No, it's going to be West Side Story. How about Nolan? Or Nolan. Give it to, give it to Nolan. So, yeah, So okay, okay, here's the question. Nolan's
1: nominated for Best Director. Fincher's nominated for Best Director. Who, Spielberg's who do you not the best
2: play
0: director.
1: Spielberg's won it. Okay, let's, let's, you know, I'm talking about like who do you like,
0: want to get their first one? Yes. Fincher.
1: I think, no, I, I think I'm going Fincher too, just because I feel like Fincher's been in the game longer. Like, no Nolan, one will get it, but like Fincher. That's sure.
0: The game.
2: I get it. In a weird way. That's, that's actually really funny. Was that intent? Wasn't intentional, was it?
0: Was that no, intentional? It was, no, it wasn't. Yeah, I no, because
2: I, I can't. No, that was great. You guys know my behind the scenes stories. I can't even watch that movie anymore. Oh, yeah. Well, what's interesting about, um, I know, but could you imagine a Best Picture race? (laughs) Spielberg, Nolan, Fincher. Oh! And here's the thing. I think I said this before. Yeah, Denis Villeneuve. If Dune comes out, there's four. Um, What's interesting about the uh, Best Director Oscar is I don't feel like, I feel like Nolan and Tarantino and Fincher are all in the best company ever. Um, They're in a company with Horson Wells, Kubrick, uh, you know, uh, Hitchcock, who never won Best Director at the Oscars. Um, that being said, I would love to see Nolan take I mean, that's home a, Like, Best look, like I mean, look, I get your justification, and I'm sure you if you mean? told them
1: that, they'd be like, oh, yeah, sure. But at the end of the day, I'm sure they'd rather be in the other company. Because that means they're also in but, our company, because yeah. we've
2: never won Best Director Oscars either. So they're also in our True. company. But we also live in a world where our guest this week, Damien Giselle, has a Best Director Oscar. Nolan, Tarantino, Fincher, do not. That. But it's interesting because... I still feel I, I feel so awful that that happened to him. Um anyways, but that movie is so incredible. But regardless, that is really interesting to think about that David uh, Damien Chazelle has a Best Director Oscar, but Tarantino, Nolan, Fincher don't. Now, At Chazelle, 36,
0: isn't he 36?
2: But he's a phenomenal filmmaker, and I have no problem with him winning but it it is crazy to think about that perspective like Hitchcock never won a best director Oscar. That's weird. thank God the director of cats has one though
0: uh let me get to uh Spike Lee, who just recently won his fir- first Oscar that was first, his first Oscar. Oscar.
1: he had now he had an he, he was given an honorary Oscar before um but this is the for screenplay yeah, for black. For Black K Klansman. K,
0: Black K Klansman. Uh, he drops the trailer for, yet again, a movie that's now going to streaming, The Five Bloods.
2: Well, that movie was always Netflix, wasn't it? Was it always? I thought it was. I believe so, yeah.
0: So uh, he dropped the trailer for that. It's not the movie that I was expecting it to be at all. Um, and it's funny because they, even in the beginning, it almost set up like it was going to be a little bit like Inside Man, which Inside Man is a bit of a, Bank robbery, heist. I like has this been, side, man. Oh, it's great. It's tremendous. And so then they talk about this movie and they say it's these uh, Vietnam veterans who are much older now, but they are going to go back to Vietnam because they have um, hidden gold from back in the day. And it makes me think like, oh, this is a bit of a treasure hunt, right? Like a little bit of a heist element, which Spike has told before. But then when the trailer plays out, it's very politically charged, which, again, oh, yeah. shouldn't surprise me because Spike Lee doesn't mind getting politically charged. But it's almost like him exercising the demon's of the Vietnam era because there's some Nixon footage in there and there's uh, the way that black soldiers were treated during the the time in Vietnam. And um, Spike has uh, very strong opinions about that that come through even in the trailer. So I'm excited to see how much of of that he's going to bite off, like how much of his commentary. He mixes history in all the time in his storytelling, um, even in his most contemporary films. So I'm really intrigued to see what Spike Lee does with um, a Vietnam era film, especially because what was the one that he did um for the world war one
1: red tails oh no um uh miracle of saint saint anna
0: Maybe miracle of saint anna yes as well too he did a uh because i got to interview him for that in toronto dude and, uh, you did that junket yeah yeah. were you there I did that junket? oh that's really funny yeah he was great i sat down across from him and they were like he's from charlotte uh, this is sean o'connell he's from charlotte and spike said what is michael jordan doing with the bobcats why can't he get that team off the ground? And it was like right when the Bobcats were really struggling. They were a new franchise. We had just gotten a basketball team back. And it was just fun to talk the NBA with Spike for five minutes. And we literally talked NBA for five minutes. And Spike turned around to the people in the room. And he was like, give this man more time. I'm chewing up yeah. his time talking about the Bobcats.
1: <laughs> and so you did a getting like a double slot with him?
0: Yeah, yeah. I got, I got more time with him because that's he awesome. just wanted to talk about Jordan because then he was like, he's like, what do the people in Charlotte think about Michael Jordan for real? Like, tell me what they think about him as an owner. And so then we started talking about that for a while and then that's started- when he-
1: They didn't put this in the last dance for some reason.
0: No, no, I didn't get my, I was waiting the whole time waiting for my spikily so- conversation about the Bobcats.
1: I always find it to be very nice and I think he's a very giving interview but I find him to be an intimidating person to sit across. Maybe just because he's so smart and he's such like a no BS. Like, I also know that- He'll call me out if I say something that not necessarily challenges him, but like he like if, if I say something he doesn't understand, he's he's going to I feel like he's going to say, what do you mean by that? And you better be able to back up what you're saying. And he also seems like he doesn't suffer fools like he's not going to uh, suffer stupid questions. Um, he is the kind of person that I put in the category of like, I got to be on my game when I walk in the room to talk to him. He
2: got yeah.
0: you better got game.
2: I better got game. Well, it's interesting because Five Bloods* trailer. I, I agree with you, Sean. It was much more. It was much different than I expected it to be based on the uh, the plot. But it's interesting because *Black Klansman* was my favorite Spike Lee film since *Do the Right Thing*, and I think that like that was like it, it, it re. Sparked, i guess it resparked that whole interest in his filmmaking for me and I, and i think that he's made great films in between do the right thing obviously and this I mean with Malcolm X and you know um, he got game as you mentioned uh, inside man uh, I, Clo- clockers was his as well right with uh, harvey keitel i think that was his um, and so I, I've always been interested in his style of filmmaking, but I, after Black Klansman, I'm all in. I mean, I just feel like he's telling stories that are so important and so interesting and so unique to his voice. And, you know, I, he's made some very bad movies. I mean, there have been some bad ones. Like Chirac was, I, I didn't particularly Chirac like. was so bad. It was terrible. But at the end of the day, every filmmaker... You know, most filmmakers don't have every movie is perfect in their book unless you're a Fincher or a Villeneuve or Tarantino or Chazelle. Um, But there are a lot of filmmakers who do have misses. And I think Black Klansman really kind of put him back into that boat for me where I'm like, I want to watch another Spike Lee movie. I cannot wait to see what he does with the Vietnam era. What was the movie um, about Vietnam? It came out in the 90s as actually a great film. Was it called Dead Presidents. Was that, that was a Vietnam film, right? It was, it was, um, I remember I, like. I know,
1: I know what Dead because I can think, I can see the
2: poster. They were like masks. I I, I it was I, like I, a robbery. I thought it was, was, a, Vietnam was a Vietnam Vietnam film.
0: movie? I, I, I thought it was like a I bank th-
2: robbery movie. I thought, I thought Dead Presidents had a Vietnam element to it, but I could be wrong. I was trying to think of like Viet, uh, Vietnam films. Have we done, uh, have we done Favorites? Yeah, Vietnam. Spike Lee? Yeah.
0: Mm, no, I don't think should, we have.
2: Dead Presidents, by the way, is really good. It's by the Hughes brothers. It was came out in the '90s. It dealt with the Vietnam War um, in certain aspects, but it was really good. I I don't know why I thought about that film, but I was just thinking about Vietnam era films, and that was one that kind of came to mind. Um, But some of the best Vietnam movies ever. I mean, people, everybody knows, you know, Apocalypse Now, and and, you know, and Full Metal Jacket. Um, I always found the Vietnam era to be an interesting filmmaking aspect. Right? It's always very fascinating what they can play around with. And like, what do you think is, what do you guys think is the best Vietnam era film? Um, I'd probably say like, Puckett's Jacket
0: maybe. I think I had, uh, it's gotta be, I see, I was going to say Platoon. I would automatically, so I almost attribute, um, the Vietnam war with Oliver Stone. Like I think the Vietnam war colors so much of his storytelling and Platoon would be his sort of, you know, Epic tome about the Vietnam war. But, um, But yeah, Apocalypse Now, I mean, how do you, how do you not choose Apocalypse Now? That feels like it's the definitive one.
2: I always find like war films to be super interesting, especially what what aspects are focused on. Like you go, oh, we're seeing another World War II film. Like, you know, uh, Greyhound's a World War II film. That's a World War II naval film. There's been so many movies made about World War II. I think I mentioned Red Tails earlier. That was a World War II film. uh, and so you know there's just so many different aspects you can touch on and there's stories that i don't know about i didn't know this particular story i don't think *The Five bloods is a true story by the way i mean it's not the actual no. story itself itself's not true it's based in a reality of vietnam but it's an interesting story i think chadwick looks really great in it i think he looks yeah. super skinny did you see how skinny I'm assuming, he looked? I'm
1: assuming he dies right like he's he's the, the, the group member he that's does. not there
2: yeah well they go they go back to find his remains i mean I, we don't and that's where they're because apparently they 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 hid this gold treasure that Sean referred to and they're going back to actually find the to get the remains of their of their squad leader, which is Chadwick Bozeman, and then we'll also find the gold.
0: All right. Let's shift to uh, Greyhound because Jake, I specifically want to ask you this. Um it feels like Greyhound, this is Tom Hanks' movie, his World War II naval film. Um it's going to Apple TV Plus now. It had a year-end theatrical. Uh, This summer. It was going to be a summer. This summer it was. Oh, no kidding. Okay,
2: Father's Day weekend was the release.
0: Becomes another one of those films that surveys the landscape, realizes how crowded theatrical is going to be if and when everything opens up again, chooses to go streaming. Are you disappointed because this feels like a film that would benefit from a big screen?
1: Yeah. I mean, one, I want to see obviously every Tom Hanks movie on as big of a screen as possible, but like a a Tom Hanks war film featuring submarines. um, I mean, and also, you know, we've talked about this before. If if a submarine movie plays it right, like you should feel claustrophobic in that movie theater. That's going to be harder to do in your living room. Um, There, there are certain things that I wanted to experience out of that movie. I just know aren't going to be possible. Um, I mean, you know, I don't get me wrong. I'll be the first person to press play whenever it shows up on Apple TV. But Maybe, maybe you know. Uh, I guess Hamilton, I'd put in this category too. But this is the first big. Uh, oh, maybe just because I've seen Hamilton in person, so it doesn't feel as much of a, of a of a miss. This is the first big movie that's going straight to streaming where I thought, like, damn, like I was I was looking forward to seeing
0: that in theaters. All right, but let me ask you this then. Yeah. You get the option to get it on Apple TV Plus a little bit later this year, or you have to wait till the end of next year. <laughs>
1: Uh, I, yeah, I'm going to press play. Uh, you, you, you're, you're, saying, you're saying I have to wait to the end of 2021? Yes. Oh, yeah,
0: I'm pressing play. Because, I mean, like I'm saying, it's just waiting for the right theatrical window to yeah. open. Might not be till the end of next year, theoretically.
2: Yeah. yeah. I weirdly think that Greyhound falls in the same category as Trolls and um, Scoob. And I'll tell you why. Uh, I think it was... A, I, no, I think, I think that Greyhound was a big epic... I don't I don't know that it would have done well. Um, I, I, I don't I don't think Tom Hanks. I, I think a lot of box office driven material these days is based on prequels, sequels, franchise stuff. Uh, I think Greyhound would have had a hard time doing well. I think Sully did well because it's a story that everyone knows. Uh, Greyhound is a story that we don't know much about. It's also, you know, a very CGI heavy action film from the trailer. But nothing in that trailer spoke to me in the sense of like, oh, I cannot wait to see that. It looked cool. But it feels like such I, a
1: dad movie. Like, it feels like the kind of movie that yeah. like a lot of da- like I-, I could see is the kind of movie that like opened pretty decently. But but yeah, well, but like had great legs. I could see the kind of movie that like doesn't really drop week to weekend because the, per- the average person for whom that movie is maybe targeting, which is maybe a little bit older moviegoers. Uh, aren't the the opening weekend kind of people? So maybe it maybe it opens at twenty five, but maybe weekend two it's seventeen, eighteen, and then from there it's fourteen. I could I could see it having maybe not had an explosive opening, but I I, th- I think it would have done well over the summer because I I think yeah. but it targeted a type of audience that normally doesn't
2: get targeted during the summer. I just feel like that kind of movie to me like it would be more dramatic if like if Warner Brothers sent Wonder Woman to VOD versus. Sony sending Greyhound to VOD, and I, and, I, and I know those are two extremes. But the the point I'm making is, I don't think Greyhound was going to be, again, and this is just speculation. I don't think it was going to be this gigantic box office hit.
0: I and thought I it was. It was unusual. I think it was a movie that, yeah, that was unusual. At the end of the trailer, when Tom Hanks turned to the camera and said, "I'm the captain now,"
2: that was weird, but it actually made sense. It made me laugh.
0: But yeah, you're well, sometimes right. Sometimes I hate strange. this
1: show. Sometimes I really. <sighs> really hate this show but this show. I, I
0: know i know
1: how it feels.
2: truly the point i'm making is i don't think greyhound was really a movie that was going to do extremely well at the box office i think why the, do you hate tom hanks i don't but i think the move i think the move to apple tv plus didn't surprise me at all it's, it, it, it wasn't a film that was big enough on my radar and again you're talking to somebody who wants to see everything theatrically But if we're going off the themes we've been discussing on the show for the past couple of months, which are look at the films they're moving, look at the films they're not moving. They're not moving Wonder Woman. They're not moving Tenet. They're not moving all those movies to VOD. They're moving films that would probably have had maybe a more of a softer opening. I mean, I think trolls would have done fine. But it probably was more successful on VOD. I wonder how Scoob did.
0: Did anybody know? How- we
2: haven't heard anything, which is. Um, I, saw, I saw it was the number one.
1: They announced that it was like the number one VOD movie. So it knocked. So Capone was number one for a few days, and then Scoob came out and knocked Capone down to number two. Um, I just I'm just glad that I'm saying Capone and not Capote anymore, because I was saying
0: Capote. <laughs> A
1: lot when that movie, when Capone was coming
0: out. It'll always be Fonzo to me. All, All right. right. Uh, this week in movies, movies that are actually coming. Did either of you guys get a chance to see The Lovebirds? Kamel Nanjiani and Issa Rae. Is it funny?
2: Uh, uh, when is this being posted? <laughs> Tomorrow or Friday? I got to find out the embargo. I'll just say what I'm going to say and then we'll figure it out. Um, the movie's, the movie's fine. Uh, it's, it feels very heavily edited. Um, it doesn't, it feels, say, say what, say what?
0: I hear they're really good together.
2: They're great. And that's the only thing that makes the movie work is their chemistry. The problem is the filmmaking isn't great. Um, It feels like it's like almost pieced together by somebody who didn't really know how to edit a film properly. There were scenes that just didn't feel like that meshed well together. It felt rushed. Um, There was extremities in tone. I thought jokes were made that didn't... You know when you watch a movie and a joke can be offensive in the middle of a film, but it'll work within the world of the tone of the movie, or, or not offensive, but more of like a, a joke that might only work in a certain tone. Like there's like certain humor, like Fargo. When you watch Fargo, uh, you're you're laughing at some violent aspects that happen in that movie, or Pulp Fiction, you laugh and Marvin gets his head blown off. Like that's not really a funny moment, but with the tone of the environment the director created, that scene becomes funny. This movie, okay, actually the Marvin example is a great example. So Marvin getting shot in the face in Pulp Fiction. That's a perfect example that I want to lead into the Lovebirds aspect of it. Lovebirds has scenes that work on that level, but the tone isn't set properly by the filmmakers and the story to allow that moment to come across as funny versus just weird you know what i mean so like there's tonal balances i think in this movie that just don't work to fit the comedy they're going for i think it goes back and forth between serious and funny but doesn't find that blended element where you can enjoy them in a specific way where everything makes sense that was my problem with lovebirds i think they were great together but i think the edit of the film in my opinion or the tone that was created hurt the overall story
0: Gotcha. Um, also coming to VOD Rocket Man, um, the great Elton John Biopic. Yes, we all saw that movie. We got to see it in London together. Uh okay. a
1: year ago. A year ago right today.
0: <laughs> Remember how many flights Kevin had to get on to get to that junket. I <laughs> you went to a... Germany, didn't you? Germany. Did I go to Germany? Forget yeah. you went you went to like three different places Munich. In order to get to Munich, right? I yeah.
3: Show uh, Kevin crazy... showed up
0: like 10 minutes before the screening started.
3: <laughs> and
2: I started my day in Los Angeles oh. and then and then flew to London and made I, I I still to this day need to find out who the guy was that drove me to the hotel from the airport. I got into a car with a complete stranger, um, <laughs> which I thought was just insane. But, but the story they're referring to is we were all in London watching Rocket Man and I was delayed or my, my flight, I actually missed my first flight because of the traffic jam in LA. And I was like, literally I left for the airport two and a half hours prior to my flight, um, but it was a Friday and it was stupid. So I missed that flight and thankfully I had enough miles in my account to be able to shift it without causing any uh, extra costs. And then I ended up flying through Munich and then through to London from LA and walked into the screening five minutes before it happened. These
0: so, are the stories that we don't miss anymore. I don't. I do miss travel, and I absolutely miss hanging out with you guys uh, in cool places. But the stress of uh, air travel and and bouncing around, I don't miss that even a little bit. And I honestly, I'm not quite sure how easily I'm going to be able to get back into that.
1: I mean, look how much younger
2: Kevin looks now that he's not traveling anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually been sleeping for the first time in my life. Yeah. Oh, I, I in a
0: fetal position in an
2: airplane seat. <laughs> He's Benjamin I, Buttoning it. I hate this. By the way, I can't wait till my beard grows back. Why'd you do it? It was an accident. I was trying. To, I mean, I, I, I felt like my head weighed more.
0: For people at home,
1: we're it. addressing the fact that Kevin is clean shaven.
0: Yes. Yeah, I'm clean your shaven feed this week to see Kevin's clean shaven yeah. face. And and it's it's, it's the
2: equivalent. Of, it's equivalent <laughs> of the Metallica T-shirt this week. Right. Right. No, my Jake, my stubble says Metallica. It says Metallica right here.
0: The last one is uh, Ready or Not. Ready or Not, the horror film is coming to HBO platforms I on Saturday, May 23rd. Um, I, I didn't care for that movie as much as everybody else. I,
1: I show that movie to a lot of people. Like I feel like it's a very fun movie to be like, hey, you ever watch it? Like I showed it to my folks, I think, over Christmas. because I feel like it's a very – also, it's, it's a super pitchable premise. It's got a great elevator pitch. Uh, it's a very easy to explain and then usually like triggers people to be like oh yeah I gotta watch that uh, my folks loved it it's a super easy watch I, I liked it a lot it, ex- it excited me a lot about those directors taking on Scream 5
0: oh they're the ones doing Scream 5 that's interesting yeah. alright so anyway that comes to HBO on May 23rd the blend game this week God God damn. people People, how much more do you want out of this show Damien Chazelle interviews Snyder Cut Talk you want-
1: next week is gonna suck
0: yes we're mailing it in for the next few weeks <laughs> We're going to sleep. Steve Carell blend. Hashtag Steve Carell blend. Our favorite Steve Carell films. Uh, This is based loosely on the fact that he's in Space Force. Um, We I think we all acknowledge. Do we all kind of agree that Michael Scott is his greatest?
1: Yes. Without question. The fact that he never won an Emmy for that is an actual travesty.
0: Did he get nominated
1: every year? Oh, did he really? Yeah. And he, he always lost to Alec Baldwin for
0: 30 Rock. My uh, 12-year-old son, Brendan, uh, ran through The Office and he um, said, what other shows can I watch that are like The Office? And I said, none, really. Like, it's kind of a standalone thing. And he goes... The British Office? So now he's watching it again. <laughs> literally-
1: I, I kid you not. I've watched it start to finish, I, I not an exaggeration, probably 12 times, maybe 13 times. That's yeah, I know what you
0: said when we had our... John Krasinski interview which
1: we still haven't aired aired.
0: never see the light of day Uh,
1: release the Krasinski cut (laughs)
0: Cut. (laughs) you told him this well that's still a September release though isn't it that movie's coming yeah Yeah. Why place two? yeah anyway anyway Steve Carell uh, as much as we love him as Michael Scott in the office I'll go first and say that my all-time favorite movie that he is part of um oh god I just want to change it I'm 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 torn between two I'm gonna go with Anchorman I'll go with Anchorman as just being flat out one of the funniest movies ever. And it's one of those movies that was just, it was funny from the minute you saw it. Like, the jokes landed, the characters were hysterical. Um, it's so easy to just spoof that era of news reporting, but its it says so much still about, like, news stations to this day. And maybe it's funnier to us because it's a little bit more, but I mean, I mean, it's, it's universally funny, but there's,
1: I don't know. I like, I, I saw it. And I don't say when I was a kid, but like I was before I was in news and thought, and thought it was, and thought it was funny. I mean, I think I was, a, I was a freshman in high school. Um, you know, so I wasn't working at a TV. St- it's funnier now that I work at a TV station, but it was funny then too.
3: It,
0: it's also one of those performances. Like brick is such a brick should be a really annoying character, right? Like mm-hmm. I don't like when characters are that dumb um but Steve Carell makes it so funny yeah. like he comes over to uh, Christina Applegate who and Christina about- Applegate <laughs> Christina Applegate does not get the credit that she deserves for being the straight man in in all of that comedy like having to play off of all those people but but she sets them up repeatedly yeah. for so many killer jokes and then gets really great jokes of her own but when he when Brick comes over to tell her about the party in his pants uh, and she's invited and he just completely botches it. And she has to sort of help him through it. Like, it's just hysterical. It's just, it's so funny. And I-, I love Anchorman 2 also. That's one of the sequels that does hold up for me. Oh yeah, no, don't make that face. It's funny. I think Anchorman 2 is also really, really funny. Um, but if I'm going to pick a Steve Carell film. So the other one I was sort of debating with was, well, I won't say it. Maybe it's one of your guys. I'll say it at the very end if neither of you guys mention it.
1: But I interviewed... Uh... I interviewed Carell for uh, uh, looking for a seeking a friend for the end of the world or so. I forget the movie they did. Yeah. And so one of the one of my questions was, you know, you can tell a lot about someone by like how they spend their final moments on this earth. So I went through all of his characters and said, if it's the end of the world, how is this character? What is this character going to be doing? And when I got to brick, he just said eating a candle. And just that, just that image of like, like an asteroid coming in, and Br- brick is just eating a candle. Just that image, it, it made me laugh out loud whenever he said that. Anyway, so that's a great, it's a great choice. A great brick, choice. Are you
0: just naming things you that you name? see, or do you really love lamp?
1: Well, I love that he doubles down. Like no, like I love lamp. lamp. <laughs> I love lamp.
0: <laughs> All right, Jake, you're up.
1: Uh, I'm going with a movie that I think he actually should have gotten. Uh, an Oscar nomination for, which is 40 year old virgin. Um, I just, I think it's such an incredibly sweet movie that is, you know, and it's, it's got an amazing supporting cast and supporting characters. All the, all the secondary characters are really well written, whether it's Paul Rudd or Seth Rogen or whatever the case may be. But that movie rests on his shoulders. Like you have to care about Andy. You have to care about that guy. You have to see something of yourself in him. You have to cheer for him. You, you know, but it, so it's, you have to take this very sex oriented plot and it can still be salacious and lots of sex jokes and stuff, but for it to be both so sex oriented, but just so genuinely sweet. And it's because it's so grounded in his performance. Um, I, th- I, th- I love it so much. Like all of Apatow's movies, I think it's 20 minutes too long. Um, but I, I just think that, that, That movie is a perfect example of what he's capable of. Um, Where you really, I mean, that was always one of the things that I loved about him playing Michael Scott, where which was as stupid as the character was, he had moments where he made you realize how good of a salesman he was. It really kind of humanized, and he had great human capabilities. This is what I love about Forty Year Old Virgin: is as salacious and sex oriented as the plot is, he's there to remind you of how sweet and genuine it is. And I don't think it would have worked as well without with anyone else in that role. Yep. Yeah, I 100% agree. Kev.
2: Yeah, I, mean, I, I think 40 year old Virgin is a great choice um, because at the end of the day, uh, with comedy like that, that that's that, that, that that's that raunchy or action. When when a character is grounded like that, whether they're in whatever genre, they're in horror, or whatever, it makes the comedy, the horror or the action better. It makes it more realistic. So when you care about a character like Steve Carell's in 40 year old version, that grounded nature makes the humor funny. Um, I also went with Anchorman because I think Brick is arguably one of the greatest characters ever put to screen. Uh, I would do anything to watch a Brick movie. Uh, just in general, just call it Brick. I know there's a movie. <laughs> I mean? I feel like there's like so many. But it would
1: haven't be the exact same plot as Brick, but You're just
2: right. in, in Brick, right? <laughs> and like <laughs> Ryan Johnson.
0: Ryan Johnson would probably approve that. <laughs>
2: That'd be amazing. We have. Oh, we should but... tweet him from the Real Blend account that we have this idea that's kind of but honestly I think what makes that that character so great is his innocence he has no um concept of bad <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean like and, and I feel like when you watch brick um in that movie there's a level of like you're almost like I kind of want to be like that. <laughs> we're like yeah. not where he kills and, uh, a guy actually- and everyone's like hey he kills a guy no, I mean, but I, I think, I think, I mean, obviously, that's very heightened. But my, my point is, and you can't go through life like brick. I mean, in the sense of like, you know, in that, in the sense of his character. Actually, yeah, I, he was successful. He was a successful guy on that, on that. Yeah, what did it say at the end?
1: Did he end up go like becoming like Secretary of State or something? Yeah. Like, like he ended up like getting like a very like high. That's the pro- high profile position.
2: That's the point I wanted to make. I think Brick is actually secretly probably one of the smartest people on the planet. I just th- I just think that he just goes through life with a very positive outlook and just doesn't have a filter and just says things. And I think that's what makes Brick so interesting is he's just always looking at the positive side of things. And like whether or not they're in a fight, I mean, Jake makes the joke about him killing somebody and then not knowing it. I mean, just that, that nonchalant attitude about life is just so fascinating to watch. And every time Brick would enter the screen... The movie would just be amplified for me. He, I, I think, he stole every moment from everybody in that cast, and that cast is incredible. I love Applegate, and I love you know, uh, you know, uh, Will Ferrell, and you know, there's so many, and Paul Rudd. There's so many great moments in that film. But at the end of the day, Brick is the person I see when I think of Anchorman, and that character, a supporting character, to to really just take away scenes from their leading characters in regards to comedy. Is not an easy thing to do. And I, obviously, Carell wasn't intending to do that, but that character became legendary. And the "I love lamp" line is just one of the most iconic lines ever. I love Brick, and I think that that character. It's funny. I've actually had the chance, and Jake has as well. We've interviewed Carell over the years, and he speaks very um, eloquently about Brick. Like he actually has very detailed like thoughts about who Brick is and like what kind of person Brick is, and like I, I find that interesting because. That could just be like a stupid comedy. But to him and to a lot of actors, they take that stuff seriously. Like, remember, Brick doesn't know he's being f- funny. You know, what? Brick doesn't know he's in a movie. Yeah. And this is what Carell was saying. is Like, Brick is just being Brick. And like, you know, he he's not going for laughs. He's just being him in this world. And Brick doesn't know there's an audience watching him. And I think it's that. Separation—that that, that element—is what makes him so special. Is because he is a character, but Steve Carell becomes him completely. There's no Carell on screen; it's all Brick. And I think that
0: this, but this his is his range. Like his range as an actor. I mean, right. like, don't, I mean, but,
1: don't forget how good he was in Foxcatcher. Like I wouldn't, right. I wouldn't,
0: yeah. We both picked, we, we all picked comedies. All three of us picked comedies, but you could go with something like Foxcatcher. I almost went with Dan in real life or Little Miss Sunshine where he played a suicidal guy. Like yeah.
2: I almost went with uh, but, Crazy Stupid Love.
0: Yeah, another but, one.
2: That's a great movie too, but what, in a weird way, the reason I'm happy that Brick is being discussed in the show right now is that, that in a 40-year-old version, Jake makes a great point. He should have won an Oscar for that or been nominated for an Oscar for that. And this goes back to that, that ever long, you know, comments i have all the time about comedy not being taken seriously i think steve carell is one of the greatest actors working today that guy has insane insane amount of range brick i do think is the best performance of his career and i think that that will be probably not taken lightly because people will say oh the dramatic roles or the fox catchers or or you know or dan in real life which i do love those performances but i would argue that what he does with brick is the is the hardest thing that he's done as an actor, in my opinion, because I, I don't feel like I think transforming like for Foxcatcher and things like that. I, I think those are tough performances. But to get comedy right, I think is harder than to get drama right. And I'm not an actor. Right, Rumsfeld. Yeah, he was yeah. great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Rumsfeld. Yeah. But he is a great actor. And I think that Brick is my favorite character he's ever played, which it to my favorite Steve Crop performance.
0: All right, next week. Well, before we get to next week, audience picks. Arthur Mingo uh, said, "Crazy Stupid Love." Michelle Garist and several others went with Jake and the Forty Year Old Virgin. Kimberly Sue said, "Dan in Real Life." Uh, it's tough, man. His his range is terrific, and uh, and you can go with comedy. And it's uh, just for Kevin's saying because he invests so heavily in his characters.
2: Right, he cares. Like he actually character studies Brick. Like it's not just him going to a set and just playing a comedic character. He. He buys into who Brick is. And like because we're watching a comedy, we don't give him credit for that, right? Because it's, oh, it's a stupid comedy. Scott.
0: He bought into Michael Scott. And that's what made that character so special.
2: And and Space Force, you mentioned. um, The only reason I want to mention that, and I think Jake would agree, because we've watched the first couple episodes, I think there is an embargo on reviews and things, so I'll just keep this vague. But same thing with The Office, where it's this heightened state of craziness, but Carell finds a grounded nature... With him, And I think that is so hard to do with comedy, to ground him in a world where we can relate to him, but we're dealing with things that we will never experience in our own lives. But if you put a grounded person in that scenario, you can laugh at it because you can relate to a person being put in that scenario that you've never been in. And I think that's the the beauty of acting. Sorry to go long winded, but next
0: week might be a little bit tough. We're going to play hashtag Natalie Portman blend hashtag Natalie Portman blend, your favorite Natalie Portman film. Um, She's been producing a number of films for a long period of time. And the one I thought of right off the bat it's pretty early in her career. And, it's, you know, do you want to recognize something when she was younger? Do you want to go with something a mid-tier, something she did recently? So have a lot of fun playing hashtag Natalie Portman Blend on social media. We'll plug it a little bit closer to the show. Of course, you can email us, your pick at realblend at cinemablend.com. That brings us to our review for this week. Uh, this one comes from, yes, Kevin.
2: Have we, not, have we not ever done Gary Oldman Blend? I don't think we have. I, that, we have to do that one eventually. I'm sorry. We
1: should, we should save that for Mank, for when Mank
2: comes out. Oh, I'm sorry. I only thought about that because of uh, Natalie Portman and The Professional, which is just one of the.
0: What if we got Fincher on this show? We're getting Fincher stop. on the show. Just stop. Please stop it. All right. This stop. is from uh, Max Nassori <laughs> who happens. said, this is the greatest show, comma, man. And they said, this podcast, Max says, this podcast is special. I enjoy, mo- I enjoyed movies from time to time until I saw Sicario. And I actually forgot that I was sitting in a crowded theater during the border scene until someone said, wow. And that's when I went headfirst into movies, even attempting to write a screenplay myself before failing and putting the dream away. December of 2019, after finishing a three-day Tarantino marathon, quote, (laughs) Kill Bill is his greatest achievement in character. Don't argue. Uh, I wanted more. I, like many others, found your interviews and found the chemistry between you all to be incredible. I did what I do with all podcasts, and I started at the beginning. Your enthusiasm pushed me to write. Uh, your enthusiasm pushed me to write again, and I finished a 105-page screenplay a few weeks ago, and have already made strides to start a third draft. That's at the awful. state it's at now. It would get a classic Jake Hamilton eh, quote on the poster. But it's because (laughs) of this show that I can annoy my friends by talking about useless movie trivia, quotes, and film stock. (laughs) Thank you, Sean, Kevin, Jake, and Gabe for keeping this plucky Aussie kid's dream alive cheers lads great review excellent cool. thank you very good much for review. submitting that I'm thank you understand. for watching if we inspire anybody to get back into uh any form of creativity whether it be short filmmaking screenwriting music composition anything oh wait he has a ps of course he adds adds dunkirk in all exclamation points and then he said kevin is right on 1917 i swear this is a legitimate ad kevin is right on 1917 the movie would not be as good if it was shot like a normal film
2: and did you notice, Sean, that he uh, added that as an unbroken element to his letter? So he did put an edit, thanks, and put his name and then had the 1917 thing. So he stitched it all together.
0: Yes. How dare you? Sam Mendez was a tremendous guest on this show and he will not I'm... return if you
2: keep crapping him. <laughs> I on love Sam Mendez.
0: <laughs> I believe it's pronounced Mendez. Mendez. to everyone take a drink in the real drinking drinking? By the game, way,
2: so. one thing I will say about our show, and like we get. Uh, a letter like that I, I tell sean this and jake and gave this sometimes like at the end of the day we do this show because we want to talk about movies together that's really what the, the show is and then when we have filmmakers on we want to geek out with them about the filmmakers if one person listened to our show in the two years and went out and watched a movie because of our show i consider that to be a win um and the fact that like Multiple people are doing that, that people are finding uh, uh, genres that they may have never watched before, learning about different uh, film gauges and stocks and, you know, things like that, or talking about the the characteristics of a performance that Jake will dive into with the actor. I mean, there's so many different elements that I've just find so it's just, it's just a beautiful thing when someone tells you that they went out and watched a movie or watched a film differently because of the way you talked about it. And like with Social Network with our commentary, which I'll plug, if you haven't anybody hasn't heard it, we did a Social Network commentary where we watched the film all together and commented on it. People have been watching that and then like learning things about the film they might not have known before. And we're not even involved in the production of that film. So I just think the beauty of what we're doing here, and this is not like a tap on the back thing, it's more of just like, I just love our community of people and I love that we can all live in this positive bubble of film uh, when there is so much negativity out there. So it's just cool to hear people are legitimately listening to what we're saying and acting on it, which is just cool. I mean, someone in another country is listening to our show and going, huh, I should watch or I should watch, you know, that's pretty amazing. So I, I, I've had people that have done that for me in my life, you know, whether it be like certain um, radio broadcasters or interviews that I've watched, or James Lipton, when I watched his stuff and learned about a certain acting method that De Niro used in a movie, and then I would go watch that movie and go, oh my God, thank you to James Lipton for for saying that because it made me, it changed the perspective of my uh, perspective on an audience. And today, Sean, you and I are watching the Man of Steel stream, and Snyder says something so simple. There's a moment in Man of Steel where um, uh, Cavill gets... I think hit really hard, spits out that blood um, in that moment, and you know it's a moment that's interesting. But hearing Snyder's topic around it, the idea that oh, this is supposed to show you that that this force is so large that even Superman's bleeding, and like I had never really thought about that concept. Like like Sean just said about the opening of a scene, of opening of a movie with with Damien Chazelle, never thought about that. So now every time I watch La La Land, because of Chazelle's answer. It's going to change my entire perspective of how that opening works. And so just, you know, I'm also a fan of the show. I'm learning things from the show that I then take into my life. And I watch movies differently because of our guests or the way that Sean describes a personal outing that he had that meant something to him in his life, or Jake had something that, you know, I'll never watch the lost world again without thinking about Jake's story, or I'll never watch, you know, Oh brother, where art thou without thinking of like, when I think of Oh brother, where art thou, I think of Sean's story. I think of you and Michelle. And so like, that's you know this the show changes perspectives and it's just interesting i just want to say that
0: thank you very much i love it so listen follow along with us week after week send us reviews also that tell us uh that you've been moved by the show or what you're getting out of the show and follow us on social media at jake's takes at kevin mccarthy tv at sean underscore o'connell or of course the real blend podcast uh page itself at Real Blend. Um, again, the community page over at Facebook. Uh, give that a follow. Chime in. Start discussing some things over there. And um, I don't know what else do we have to talk about. We have, we'll we have a show next week uh, with a guest, probably. I'm <laughs> not quite sure who we have. I'm losing track of the days and what movies are coming. Um, but I know we'll have something really cool to do uh, here on the podcast. So tune back in. And until we are back together here as a Real Blend family, I leave you with.
2: Dunkirk and Tennant